I just complained to everybody I met. I was pissed off about this. I was thinking of like, can I hire some hitman or mafia or something? <laughs> like I tried to contact these online sellers and like threaten them. Right. And like really angrily, violently threaten them to stop selling my games. And they just, they, they're like, no, we're going to sell your games. Like, screw you, dude. Hi everybody, this is Soren Johnson and you're listening to Designer Notes, a podcast about why we make games. Today we are talking to veteran game designer David Serlin. David was the lead designer of Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo HD Remix and is also known for his board game designs, such as Yomi and Puzzle Strike. Uh, one good place to start is like, what's the first, I mean, you just say video game. But you're, you know, you're in both worlds, so I could say board game. But like, what's the first video game that you remember? Oh, first video game that I remember, I think, is Combat on the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. Is that the one with the tanks? Yeah, it's the one that came with the system. Yeah, it was like two tanks driving around shooting each other. Yeah, uh, and and Pac Man and Donkey Kong. Yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah. Did you guys have a Atari? Yeah, we had an Atari Twenty Six Hundred. I also, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm so young, I've kind of lost track of the exact timing. Maybe I knew about some arcade games at that point too. Right. Did you like? Were you really into video games? At that age? Yeah, I, I was. I was really into arcade games growing up. I spent a lot of time in arcades. Right. Were you? Well, I mean, you know, I know you're obviously good at finding games. Were you like good at like? Arcade games in general. Oh, like yeah. One of those kids, basically. That. Yeah, I mean, I played tons of games before I knew anything about what fighting games were. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, what arcade games were you like the best at? <laughs> oh, you really asked me to go back now. Let's yeah. see. I liked Punch Out and Gauntlet and Space Harrier. Many uh, more. I don't know. Quartet was another one. Um, I mean, I, I, sure, I can't yeah. remember. Well, you know, you have to list them. I guess what I'm curious about is like, was, was there a type of game that you you favored, or I, I don't think so. I mean, I played all all sorts of games that were on offer back then. Right, right. And what did uh, did you have? Uh, did you have like a computer system at home that you played on too, or? Oh, I mentioned the Atari Twenty Six Hundred for right. the game system. Uh, I didn't have a computer until seventh grade when I got a Mac Plus. Okay. Um, Max weren't necessarily known for their games, but like Dark Castle, everyone had that. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, there were a lot of there were a lot of Mac games. I mean, SimCity. Uh... Right, right, right. Um, I mean, there's always there. I mean, there were games on every platform back sure. then. Sure. Um, okay. Would you were you playing a lot of? Uh, were you getting into board games at that point, or card games, or anything? Or no, not really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what were you What were you interested in, like when you were growing up, like? Uh, I was interested in math and science, mm-hmm. uh, math and physics, really. I figured I would be a mathematician or a physicist someday. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I figured that all the way up to college. Right, right, right. Where, where did you go to school? At MIT. MIT, okay. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, and did you, did you major in physics, or like, what did you... So, uh, when I arrived there, I wasn't really sure if I wanted to go the math route or the physics route, so I took... Uh, difficult classes in both they they have a thing where uh, all the courses are in all the classes they call courses are in numbers mm-hmm. and uh, if you take the 
extra numbers version of, of a class, then that's like the harder version. So 8091, or sorry, 801 was introductory to uh, physics and 8011 with the extra number <laughs> okay. was the super hard version. Okay. So I made sure to take the super hard versions to kind of explore if it's what I really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone who took 8011 with me told me that the most important thing he learned from the class was that he should not take 8022. <laughs> and I felt the same way that like I just got my ass kicked by this hard physics stuff. Yeah. I did a lot better in math. So mm-hmm. I decided to major in math and that's the path I was on. Uh, but my dad who is a, was a professional photographer, a very highly acclaimed one. He was, a president of professional photographers of America at one point, he's an entrepreneur owns mm-hmm. his own business. And so I'd always thought in the back of my mind that I should know something about business. Mm-hmm. And my parents really encouraged that. I thought that was a fantastic idea compared to math. <laughs> I would say like, even, even like the phrase, I'm going to be a mathematician. Like that's, I guess that means you could just, you're, you're a professor, right? I, mean, <laughs> I guess that's what that means. I didn't really know. I didn't really think about it. I just knew yeah. I liked math, but, yeah. uh, Anyway, I thought in the back of my mind, okay, maybe maybe business. And so as I went through college, I kind of hedged my bets. And when I was able to take a class that, uh, like, uh, for general ed, I, I made sure that it was kind of towards business. So that if I decided to switch, I would already have some of the credits mm-hmm. towards it. Uh, I eventually did both and d- you, decided to go way into business, you know, by I mean, the end of it. You got, like, an MBA or...? No, I mean... You just got more... Go ahead. Uh, well, I got enough credits to graduate in with degrees in both math and business. business. Oh, okay. All right. Um, and uh, and then, then what did you think you were going to do then? <laughs> well, by then I had decided I wanted to work in games. I actually remember even the first moment of that. Uh, okay. So... I was walking around Boston with a programmer friend, and I was complaining about uh, adventure games. Uh, that was actually the, my first favorite kind of game, games We're like event. Secret of Monkey Island yeah. and that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, I really like That's liked... interesting. I wouldn't have guessed that. I know. No one, no one <laughs> would have guessed that. But, I, I mean, Ron Gilbert is just a great writer. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so I was inspired by that type of game. Uh, I've also heard at the Game Developers Conference many times people have said that there's something special about our medium in that when you grow up liking a certain type of game, it, it, it seems to be common to be so inspired that you want to make them mm-hmm. in a way that is even stronger than other mediums. I'm, mm-hmm. not, I'm not really sure what's up with that. But I was inspired to make adventure games. And, uh, well, I, w- I wouldn't say that that's getting ahead of myself. Uh, I was very interested in adventure games. And there were things about them I didn't like or whatever. And mm-hmm. I thought a lot about them. And so I was walking around Boston talking to my programmer friend, just complaining about things that I, I didn't like about them. Uh, and he said, well, you know, we could make an adventure game. Like mm-hmm. if you're that into this. And at that moment, uh, this was before I was inspired to make them. I was only at the complaining about them phase. He said that we could make one. And I thought, well, what do you mean? I mean, how, how would anyone ever do that? <laughs> Like, aren't they, games are made on the moon or some other planet or something. Who knows anybody that makes them or how that works. And he's like, well, you know, I'm a programmer and uh, I know how to do that part. And you seem to know the design part. And we do have these other friends who are artists and we could all sort of get together and we could do this. And uh, it's, I mean, this is kind of a side note, but like the genesis of 
adventure games is MIT, <laughs> basically. <laughs> I mean, were you were you aware of that at all at the time? I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really know anything about yeah, yeah, yeah. making games. I mean, that was it was almost like a half a generation before you, so there's almost like no reason to know that. But it's kind of this inter- <laughs> interesting irony. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> right. Yeah, of all the places I could be <laughs> saying that. Right. Um, so he proposed this idea, and. My mind was blown by it, and I uh, you know, didn't know what to think, but I thought, yeah, let's do it. We should do that. So we brought our small team together, and uh, I recruited another designer friend I knew who uh, we used to play Dungeons & Dragons together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a very good rapport with him where... Uh, would, you, f- would you DM? Would yeah, you see, that's, what I'm, that's okay. what I'm getting at, is yeah. that uh, we would actually both do it. We would trade off in different adventures, and... Uh, people who knew us thought it was very weird that we were friends because we seemed completely opposite. Uh-huh. He, he is like a super creative, almost hippie type person. Some of you meet at a Renaissance fair. He took <laughs> me to many Renaissance fairs. And I'm like the math physics guy or something. But we got along very well because we could we could speak each other's language. Like even though I was such a logical person, I had a, more of a creative side than you know you might think. And mm-hmm. In turn, he had more of a logical side. So we were a good two sides of a coin, and we worked together on the design of this adventure game. Meanwhile, you know, the programmers and artists doing their thing. So uh, we spent a whole summer working very hard on that, mapping out all of the puzzles, all the characters. What all... type of, like, what, what was the setting like? Uh, it was a, a fantasy setting. Okay. Uh, a, a comedy. Uh, okay. Because, again, Secret of Monkey Island is, sure. is so great. Um I mean, I could tell you about this adventure game, but I don't know if that's the most interesting thing. <laughs> but, uh, no, okay, one, one tidbit about developing just the design of it is that we were so in the dark, we had no idea how other people did this. Sure. And uh, I thought it was most logical if we started uh, by thinking of only about the plot, mm-hmm. not about the, the puzzles. puzzles okay. Yeah, and uh, came up with a... Pretty interesting, like tangled plot that we could mm-hmm. look at the at the situation from the perspective of different characters, and you would play different characters over the course of the game. So right. we spent a while on that, and then that, when that was pretty solid, then we moved on to thinking about how all the puzzles would fit in, because uh, we didn't really want the puzzles to create the plot, but rather to support an already interesting plot. And then the third step would be once those are set, to begin writing dialogue for all the characters. Uh, and we didn't know, is that what other people do? Uh, do yep, they do it a different way? Yeah. I, I don't know. And how long do they take? Do, w- would they spend a month doing what we did or a year doing what we did? I, I don't know. We, we just decided we would spend however long it took. It was many months right. uh, to do it right. I think I, you know, now that I'm in the industry, I look back and I think we probably spent longer than is normal sure. because we maybe cared more about <laughs> quality over deadlines, right? Right. So we did all that, and then it turned... Did you think, I mean, if it's a summer, like, did you think... Well, when did you, how long did you think it would take you to make the game? How long did I think it would take to make it? Yeah. Like, uh, were you going to keep working on it during the year? Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. And did you keep working on it? So what actually happened is um, all that design work, I said, that, that we would do, we, we did do, and that... The programmers and artists just never did anything, yeah. or never, or, or or did things that uh, amount to nothing. You know, yeah. like they maybe did something, but not in a shippable form that we can actually use and actually come together. Yeah. And they were just all useless, no matter how much we goaded them. And uh, so it was a you know total failure, and we made nothing. But, yeah. but a lot was, of, there's a lot of teams of people that age that 
that's basically what happens. Um, <laughs> it's, you know. But I did all my stuff, and I. <laughs> And it was there you go. What's, what's and, and it was great practice. What was so like, okay? Maybe this is a useful question. Like, what did you want to improve about metric? Because you talked like you started from a complaint. Like, what you know? What did you want to change? Uh, well, it's been a while, so <laughs> I don't remember the uh, the yeah. specifics of what we were trying to tackle there. I mean, I know that uh, the verbs being really few and stilted was a was a problem. Like, you'd have a certain number of objects you can carry around and mm -hmm. verbs that go with them. Uh, but uh, adventure games at that time often stuck to a small set that mm -hmm. like never changed throughout the entire game. And so mm -hmm. they would, that's part of why puzzles were notoriously convoluted mm -hmm. is because, because the verbs wouldn't change depending upon the objects. Yeah. You'd be in a certain situation with a certain object and it would really make sense to do one verb, but you don't have that yeah. verb. And so we had this IntelliVerb thing where the verbs could change depending on situation and objects. So they would make more sense and the puzzles would be less ridiculous. Right. Uh -huh. I mean, that, that was one minor thing. Um, just from a storytelling perspective, we thought it was really interesting to see the same kind of story from multiple perspectives. So we were way into that. Uh, as far as puzzles go, we're pretty conscious about how obtuse some of puzzles can be and, and also what type of puzzles there should be. Like puzzles could be potentially very logical, like a, mm -hmm. like a mathematician would make, yeah, right. or they could be more story-based, kind of outside the box. And we had broken the game into six chapters, which took place in, uh, I think, four settings because you revisit two of the settings. And each of the settings kind of had a theme of what type of puzzle. So there was a castle that had a lot of puzzles that were more like what a mathematician would make. And then another setting uh, where nothing like that at all. Right, right. <laughs> so we tried to have a good variety of, of types of puzzles. Uh, and we're also very conscious about dead ends, like being able to get into an impossible situation. Right. So we really bent over backwards, actually, to make sure that was... Yeah, that was a common problem in Metro Games, where... You you know you don't realize that you can't finish the game anymore, you know, and you're like Walking Dead basically. Yeah, I mean it's it's still a thing today, and in, yeah. in some games I was playing a game with my my girlfriend the other day, and she asked like, "Hey, right now, uh, are we screwed forever or not?" <laughs> and my answer was, "Well, we don't know, no. but uh, we will find out if this is a badly designed game or not." Right. <laughs> playing it more. <laughs> we'll answer the question. Right. Yeah, yeah, adventure games. Um, so were you into fighting games at this point? Uh, so, yeah, I already was pretty heavy into, was into fighting games. Yeah. I, I played Street Fighter 1 as a kid. So okay. That was before the big craze. I remember I kept track of how many times I could beat the game. Uh, it was up to like 17 or something. Now, there's two versions of Street Fighter 1. One of them had six buttons. The other mm -hmm. one had two very large buttons. Okay. Have you ever seen the, the two button? I, I, I'm not that into it. To know the difference. So very large buttons. Okay. <laughs> very, very, very large buttons. That, like uh, your like six inches. Is that what you're? Uh, yeah, and you and you had to. They were cushioned, and you had to hit them, hit them <laughs> okay. really hard. So it was meant to be like a an actual action, right? Yeah. So if you hit it just a little bit, you get a jab. Or if you hit it a lot, you get a fierce. Okay. Or there's a medium setting as well. Uh -huh. So I was too little to really play it be able way. to interact with it that way. But I could play by putting my elbows on the large buttons, and I could control. <laughs> Like if it was a light medium or heavy. Uh -huh. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> it didn't obviously did not stick with that convention, did they? <laughs> no, the, the six button one <laughs> obviously <laughs> took over. 
So Street Fighter 2 was the big revolution where now everybody cared about it. Now it was played head-to-head instead of mostly against the computer. Uh, I was in that from the beginning. I was way into it. Yeah. So, like, what was the context for this? Were you playing it... uh, were you playing? Where were you playing these? Where were you playing at arcades? At arcades, yeah. And that's the only place. Were, were there? Um, was there like a competitive scene at all, or like were there other people who were you know equally as good as you, or like what? Yeah, so what there were like? there were regulars like from the very beginning. It just became a, a phenomenon. So I, I made friends there and uh, and rivals and whatever. You know, we kind of vaguely knew each other and. Mm-hmm became a little closer as we played more and more uh what was your other question what was... uh, basically that like what was what was the scene like um you've talked a lot about kind of like the the meta strategy that's involved in in fighting games and how mm-hmm. you know that's really important was that something that you think you like were learning at that time like was that an aspect in street fighter 2 at that point oh uh, was what an aspect like the the meta game in what does the meta game well mean to you? the okay so the non um, what you have a better term for this than I do? The, like the dexterity element, the the actual execution element of the game. Um, so, so that's definitely an element. I mean, a meta game usually would refer to like yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. which characters are popular in a given. Sure, that's true. Okay, so I mean the actual inside the game, the, you know, the high level strategy of of playing the game. Like, was that something that like you you saw from the very beginning, or? Well, I would put it this way: that it people listening to this now might have trouble relating to what it was like back in the early days but this whole fighting game thing was completely new and we didn't know how fighting games worked we didn't know conventions or things that are common knowledge now and so it felt like every time i played or or every week or something we were making new discoveries about how this game works oh you can cancel this move into that move i didn't know about that oh the cancels work in a certain way the certain combo is possible uh you you hold down to charge up Guile's flash kick and mm-hmm. then up to execute it. So you can't do you can't do a standing flash kick. Mm-hmm. But actually, if you're tricky enough, as you go from the down to the up, you can do a standing move. You know, as as the, when the joystick's halfway. So it actually is possible to do a right. standing move into a flash kick. That's that's crazy. Is that is that real? Is that right? right? Let's show me that. You know. And it just kept being that way. There just kept being more and more discoveries that seemed endless uh, about the workings <laughs> of this game. So, how much of that stuff do you think was intentional by the developers? Yeah, there's urban legends about that. Uh, the, the, the urban legend is that combos were not uh, on purpose; and that they were just some emergent property. I think that that's not exactly true. Uh, I later went out to work on Street Fighter and have mm-hmm. seen the code for it to so <laughs> give some clues about what they might have thought. I think that early in their development, they didn't, they probably didn't really think about combos and how they worked. And it maybe was an emergent property, but then they seem to have known about it before the release of the game. Okay. Um, so at least that much they knew, but all, there's so many little details and tricks and nuances that that they don't know. Uh, and the, I mean, that of course the makers of Street Fighter 2 didn't know because even the makers of Street Fighter 3 and 4 didn't know half <laughs> the stuff about right. what's going on in their game. Like, it's all... Uh, one player said that he, he sees fighting games as uh, as a challenge to the player to 
exploit bugs left behind by the fighting game programmers that they didn't know about or didn't understand. And I thought that that's pretty apt because at a high level play, it yeah. often is about things that. Is that why there's so many versions? Like, it's kind of baffling to outsiders, you know? Like, No, the... that's not at all why. It has nothing to do with why there's so many okay. versions. But they kind of change each time, I assume, right? Like, the bugs will be different. And... But if that was why there's so many versions, it would imply that each version fixes all those problems, but this, this stuff is almost never fixed. Uh... So, like, some of these bugs that you know, our core parts of how people play. They're consistent <laughs> from version to version? Uh, well, there's peculiarities that show up in certain versions and not others, and there's okay. other things that are that are very common that show up in many versions, like Kara throws is one that shows up in a lot of versions. That's where you press two buttons to throw. Uh, games, Some games you press only one button, but uh-huh. in some games you press two buttons to throw. And what happens if you press one of the buttons just barely before, one sixtieth of a second before? Well, they should probably just give you the throw because it's it's really hard to press two buttons on right. literally the same frame. So there's a little bit of slop factor there. Right. But that means you got to do a move for one sixtieth of a second. Right. And now it's disappeared. So there's all these bugs that have to do with like what what kind of property can I get out of that one sixtieth of a second? Right. What if it, a move that moved you forward very far? Okay. Then you could be standing in one place, one sixtieth of a second do this move that moves you forward quickly and then throw. So you basically got longer throw range. Right. Uh, so there's like this thing that would not be possible without this tiny little one sixty of a second. Explore, yeah. Basically. It's it's not on purpose. Yeah. But because it's crazy to try to do that. on purpose. It's crazy and it's stupid. And like, you wouldn't, I mean, can you imagine Capcom like labeling the instruction manual <laughs> with that know? type of stuff? Yeah, right. So the the command to throw is press two buttons, but never do that. You're just you're just an idiot if you right. do that. You want to press one and then sixty of a second later press another one. Like it's no, they don't they don't mean to do that. Do they do they care about that? Well, I care about that a great <laughs> deal. Yeah, uh, I mean, I know. I mean, I I imagine like it's impossible to fix all of those things. But how much do yeah. they? How much do they try? Well, uh, historically, not that much. Uh, although Street Fighter Five uh, has tried to do to fix a lot more of those things than Street Fighter Four. Street Fighter Four is one of the biggest offenders, full oh, really? of all these sort of things. Yeah, like a huge, huge number of them. And now you're kind of getting into talking to me as a player versus talking to me as a designer. Sure. People get very confused about this difference between playing and designing, okay. especially with regards to my writing and my work, people right. get deeply confused because they're totally different goals, you sure. know, with totally different rules. So I wrote a book, Playing to Win. Right. That's about winning when you're a player, but right. it does mention a couple things about how to run tournaments and what should be banned and that sort of thing. And so it's that intersection that could be confusing. If you ask me as a player, you know, should I use all these bugs? Oh yeah, I mean that's, yeah, yeah. I should no, I, I don't, enthusiastically yeah. use them for many years, and yeah. so that so I know what it's like to 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 get way into using them and mm-hmm. to get kind of excited about like the advantages that they give you. Um, so so that's one right. conversation we could have, and then the, the flip side is like, well, okay, if you're in charge of making a thing, I mean, do you really want <laughs> the experience to be defined by all these <laughs> bugs? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean. I, I would. I certainly wouldn't imagine that they would leave stuff in, if they. I mean, they want to leave stuff in intentionally. But then there's this continuum of how much of a per. You know, when when you're working on a development project, 
you know, every, it's, it's a zero-sum game, basically, if you have X number of resources, you know. Right, so it won't, it won't be perfect. It, it, you're just naive to think that it will all yeah. be perfect. And so everything is, yeah, it's a question of priority. And so where did where in the list of things do they prioritize this type of stuff? And, and I guess that comes down to wh- wh- how much they care about the competitive scene and if they believe that it's even, you know, hurting the competitive scene. Yeah, it's a very difficult topic. So, um uh, most of these companies do not seem to care very much about fixing this stuff. Some of them do. Uh, Arxis, that makes Guilty Gear, seems to care a lot. They, they've they had just as many problems over the years as anyone else, but um, they've really gone the extra mile in their newest game, uh, XRD, it's called, mm-hmm. XRD, to fix all sorts of, of problems of this type. Uh, option selects, they're called. Uh, right. Option select is when uh, you the player inputs a certain thing, mm. and what comes what actually happens in the game, what comes out of that input, is determined by the game itself. Like given the like a different in one situation you'll get X, in a different situation you'll get Y, even though it's the same input, mm. and you will get the more favorable of the two. That's if that's the case, it's called an option select. Wait, is it a is it a random oh. thing or is it depends, no not a random depends thing depends on the situation depends on the situation. Okay. What's an example? Well, a, a really simple one that I think is a positive example and, and fine is if you hold in Street Fighter 2, if you hold towards and press fierce, mm. then you'll get a fierce punch if you're far away, and you'll throw them if you're close. Oh, okay. So you get two different outcomes. Mm. Uh, that's mostly fine because uh, it's it's not so common that you... You're trying to do kind of both at once. Mm-hmm. Like if you're right next to them, you don't really want that fierce punch. You generally mm-hmm. want the throw. Uh, and if, well, I don't know if I'm explaining this very well, but maybe maybe it's better to think of a a really bad option select as an example. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm trying to get to, to what's the issue with option select. So, so it's things like. Uh, Input a crouch at the same time as you press jab plus short, and mm. now what do you get? Well, if nobody's around, you get a low jab, because jab happens to take precedence. Uh-huh. If somebody throws you, you get a throw tech. You escape their throw. Mm-hmm. So now you've basically played paper, rock, scissors with paper and rock entered at the same time. Okay. You can where, do two things. Because if you got thrown, you've uh-huh. answered that. But if you didn't get thrown, you did the first hit of what could start to be your offense mm-hmm. because you could do jab into more things. So that's the real problem. Okay. And that's when it, it, all the problems of option selects have to do with playing paper, rock, scissors with paper and rock yeah. at the same time. Okay. And okay. they uh, actually make games shallower yeah. be, because you're taking away decisions. But from the point of view of many players, they think that... They make games deeper and more interesting. Right. And what, what I, I've come to call that, I don't have a better term for it, but just depth fallacy. Sure. What I hear over and over as part of this fallacy is the idea that if you learn that there's something new to a game, then it's deeper. Mm-hmm. And I, I describe to you in arcades how every week I learn new things in Street Fighter 2. Right. And if you ask me then, does that make does that show that the game is deeper? I would have said, oh, absolutely, that, that's, that should be the definition of, of depth. So even I would have been caught off guard here or what, given the wrong... What changed your mind on that? Uh, it, it's just learning that it, after seeing more and more of these developments of 
tech in fighting games, you know, the option selects or whatever, that they can be uh, uh, degenerate, that they can make games shallower and shallower. So, like, learning a new thing, uh, it depends what the thing is, whether the game is deeper or not. And in some games, as we learn more and more about them, they become stupider and stupider to play. They boil down to fewer and fewer decisions. So I guess having seen that enough, I now am very sensitive to that issue that just because there's some technique that you didn't know about and now you do, and maybe that technique is difficult to execute, so you might get caught up in thinking about, you know, that is an important skill. At the end of the day, it could be that it's just shallower to play. Mm -hmm. Uh, You asked before what the fighting game companies do about this or care about this. So some of them care more than the others, but they're also sort of caught in this world where the market, a lot of fighting game players really believe that this stuff is, is good and does add depth in cases where it doesn't. So I can easily imagine whoever's in charge thinking, well, do the players really care about this stuff? They seem to like it. We'll just leave leave it. It's hard to know what to do. I mean, in some sense, if you really believe in your convictions, it's easy to know what to do as, as a designer. But if you're running a company and, like, you know, a sizable chunk of your fan base is telling you one specific thing, like, um, so your position as a designer is that the ideal fighting game would remove as much of this as possible. Is that true? Yeah, I mean, I'll clarify, but that's pretty true. I think some people would straw man me to say that. Uh, I would remove all execution, and then you're just left with a card game or a turn-based right. game or something. You know, I've made a you card made that, game. Right. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I have made a, the card game version of, of fighting games. Uh, but it's not that I'm advocating that's what fighting games should be. Right. It's, it's more correct to say uh, that if you remove... When, you, when it comes to removing execution skills from a game... Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some that you can remove without hurting what the game is about, and I am in favor of removing those things. But there's other things that you, if you remove them, you would just radically change the essence. You would not have the same yeah. style of game at all. So one thing you can do in fighting games is you can move back and forth in real time and control your distance to the opponent, and that's really fundamental to the game. So you could say, well, I'm not very good at moving back and forth and doing it precisely with timing. Well, I'm sorry, you, you just can't play fighting games. It's, I, I can't fix that for you. But uh, there's a lot of stuff I can fix. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Things like another just simple example is uh, in Soul Calibur, you uh, hold the guard button down to block incoming attacks. Mm-hmm. And uh, remember, we talked about how uh, with the two button throw thing, there was a secret other command mm-hmm. where you press the buttons, you know, one sixtieth of a second later. Well, there's the same kind of secret going on with the guard button in Soul Calibur and Soul Calibur Five, for example. Uh, while holding that guard button, there's uh, you also have two attack buttons, we'll call A and B. If you drum your fingers back and forth between A and B quickly while holding guard, nothing will happen. So there's no drawback if you mm-hmm. want to do that. Sure. But there is an upside to do it. If you get thrown, then uh, after being thrown, pressing A will break 50% of throws, depending on what they are. Pressing B will break the other 50%. So if you happen to have it down, so if it's, you did, a, it's a... It's good. Yeah, you're just you're basically inputting fifty percent chance, mm-hmm. you know, constantly to avoid throws with no possible downside. So that you could say, well, it's it's easy to do that. It's not difficult to execute that. Yeah, yeah, yeah it isn't, but it's harder than not doing it. Yeah. It's just 
it's just one more annoying, useless thing. And that's exactly the type of thing that I can remove and yeah. feel I should. Uh, I, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's different, but for, for making strategy games, well, it's not that different, really. Like, I mean, I, I often will think about how, like, we have to make sure that the best way to play the game is not an, an annoying way to play the game, right? <laughs> like, because why would you make a game like that, right? Like, you know, um, it's hard, already hard enough to get people to enjoy your game. Like, the last thing you want to do is, like, you know, reward them for doing something that is not actually pleasurable. Uh, I mean, like, in a turn base that can sieve, that means, you know, it's... If they could get some benefit to like moving their workers around every turn in every city, mm -hmm. like that's terrible because that means that's if people like want to do as good as possible, that's what they're going to do, right? There's no reason not to do that. Um, so you basically have to do everything you can to make sure that's not the optimal way to play, right? Um, yeah. So someone that disagrees with us would, uh, I mean, I know their next move. I've I'm, I've been in this conversation <laughs> in a million there. times. So the next thing they say is. Well, but if you could move the workers around in the city, or if you could do the, you know, my thing about pressing A and B during guard, that's a bad example. A good example would be very difficult combos. Uh, if mm -hmm. if uh, the game is full of very, fighting game has very difficult combos that if you can't do them, you just suck. And if you can do them, you're good. In both of these cases, it, it increases the skill ceiling. It gives better players a way to separate themselves from worse players. Uh, so my response to that is that I, I believe that is objectively correct it sure. if you add skill tests to a game then the game has more skill tests there's really no way around that it's just a question of what skill tests do you want yeah uh, and there's a big disagreement uh, in the fighting game world about that so some people like me would say uh, i find the strategy interesting and the execution is something i put up with mm -hmm. and other people think that the the skill of doing very difficult to execute stuff is fundamental is the one of the most interesting parts yeah. and so they want well they're in a sense they're not wrong mm -hmm. like the thing yeah, is, this is like, kind game, of a preference yeah you know? game design is an aesthetic choice right and i mean i think a game where it's all about i mean it's all about mashing but not mashing the wrong term but the opposite of that it's all about you know, precisely just, pressing precisely, yeah. You know, yeah just the right time i mean that that doesn't sound like much fun to me but you know i mean well, if you go way in that direction, you end up with rhythm games like Beat Mania mm. or something. Uh, right, right. And so people in my camp often wonder, well, why not just play Beat Mania, you know, <laughs> if that's what you're after. Or, or right. single play. Like, it's, it's just mixing it with a strategy that seems to bother me. Uh, I once talked to Eric Williams about this. He was mm -hmm. a designer on God of War. And I was kind of stuck in the same conversation I've had a million times. But Eric said something. I mentioned this in my podcast. I don't know if you might happen to have heard it, but he said something that was like new a new way of thinking for me. Right. Uh, so he likes difficult combos and yeah. difficult to execute stuff. And I was trying to get on the same page of him. I was like, yeah, so, sure. you know, it's a strategy game. Doesn't that just get in the way? Don't you want to have as little, not maybe not none of it, but but minimize it? And he was saying, no, no, he, he doesn't want to minimize it. He wants there to be a lot of hard things to do that you master. And so I said, okay, you and I both agree that that would uh, add a skill. So that's, we're not right. debating that. It's just about what kind of skill do you want to test. So, for example, if I wanted to add cake baking to, right. to my game, you know, it, it's difficult to bake cakes. Uh, to be good at a cake baking fighting game, you've got to know everything about cake baking and everything about the fighting game. It's certainly harder to play. Uh, so... 
So first of all, you know, you, you agree that that would increase the skill ceiling. And he's like, oh, yeah, that would be, you know, I would be terrible at that <laughs> cake baking fighting game. Uh, and I said, okay, so we're on the same page there. I'm wondering, you know, where do we diverge? Yeah. Like, uh, what's the difference between the cake baking fighting game? Like, why is that not a better game? And, is it subjectively more challenging? Oh, why is it not better than the, than like a low execution game? Right. Like, yeah, well, my actual question was, what's the difference between the cake ba- the, the fighting game plus cake baking and fighting game plus difficult combos? Right. And his, he thought for a second, he said, there's no difference. And then I felt like I understood everything from the, from that moment on. Cause he, 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 so, so many other people have made kind of a disingenuous argument or a, ba- or a badly formed argument trying to say that they're, they're way different. He's like, no, they're not different. You see what, what he said next is like, the part where there's strategy, I like that. I want to play that. I don't want to play Beat Mania. I want strategy. Also, nothing to do with that. I like difficult combos. Okay. Somebody else might come along and say, also nothing to do with that. I like cake baking. Right. Okay. It's just that I happen to like these two he things. He happens to like those two things. Yeah. And but that what's that saying then is you should only you should only really enjoy fighting games if you also happen to like those two things right like that's basically what that means i mean the thing to me about like maybe difficult combos is if you because i was i was thinking about i was kind of anticipating what he was saying but i was assuming what you would do then is you drop the strategy part right? like it seems like what those people should play is they should be playing like those dance games where you play next to each other yeah right like sort of in parallel it's like a you know it's like a race or whatever you would want to call it because that's that's essentially what contest that maybe yeah or contest whatever. right exactly you know whereas you know it's some extremely difficult thing from a point of view of you know dexterity or whatever but there's not actually interaction right like because why does there need to be interaction for for a dexterity contest because what you're fighting is the dance pad well i think if eric were here he would say that he just really likes the strategy also and that's yeah, why yeah, he yeah. wants it to be there too yeah so there's a big intersection there's a big people at the intersection of those two things who who want that and uh i i i don't think they're wrong just like you were saying this is just a taste uh but i find the strategy part more interesting and so i've tried to make execution as easy as possible i'm now working on a new fighting game called fantasy strike which Mm -hmm. goes way way far in that direction yeah yeah well the thing is i think to the most most people what they see, the thing they see, the first thing they see about a fighting game is the execution stuff. Yeah. They don't see the strategy layer. Like, that's I right. think that's basically invisible to most players. Um, and, um, but the execution stuff is also like a barrier. Like, there's this other question of like, what's the potential audience for fighting games? Like, I like the idea of fighting games. Like, it seems, it seems cool. I've enjoyed them when I played them, but I also, have never felt like I, I can invest the time to like learn all the combos to get very good at them, right? So it's right. It's, it's basically a game I don't buy, right? And I just don't really pay much attention to. Um, well, I hope to get your dollar this time <laughs> around. Um, yeah, I guess. I guess. That's I mean, exactly. So to put it in some more specific terms, like something in Street Fighter, the most common thing, pick Ryu mm-hmm. or Ken or. Uh, they call them shodos, which means a certain style of gameplay where you throw fireballs, mm-hmm. and that gives you control over uh, over the playfield. You're forcing the opponent to do something because there's this fireball coming at them. If they just block it for a long time, over and over, they're going to take damage. Yep. So they need to come at you, and when they jump over the fireball, you can hit them with your dragon punch. Mm-hmm. You can maybe back up a little bit, uh, hit them with a different move, like a sweep in Street Fighter Two, or you know what you what move you use is different depending on which version. But that's zoning. That's 
the beginning of a strategy. Uh, you could call it the ground floor. Like if you're doing less than that, you're not even really playing. Right. And you probably can't participate in even the ground floor. Right. Be- because like you've got to do a quarter circle motion with the fireball. You've got to be able to input a dragon punch. Uh, this is very quickly. It take. I mean, it took me years of right. training to be able to. <laughs> To precisely input a dragon punch that quickly, you know, and not miss it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think the next stage in making fighting games accessible is to just get rid of at least that part of the execution. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's interesting because, like that, that part of the game is like it's literally invisible to me. Like I literally cannot see it. Like the, the only the first time I became aware of it was like literally seeing like your little circle thing in Yomi, right? That like you know like basically spelled that out, you know. And like before that, I you know I had no idea what the arrangement of of activities were in fighting game. <laughs> um, and I'm sure if I'd spend just some more time doing it, like I probably would start to understand it a little bit. But like that is to some extent, you know, one of the goals of designing a game is trying to make sure people connect with what you know, what the core strategy of it is, right? Um, So, yeah, I don't know. Well, so what's the other side of it? Like, what would you say, you know, again, you say like, it's easy easy for people to put up a straw man against you, you know, on this type. So what is, what is the positive aspect of execution in fighting games? Uh, Well, the the easiest part of that is what uh, Eric Williams meant. It's just that it, it is a skill that, someone could find interesting sure uh and i mean i mean for you from your perspective right like because you don't want to just make a card game right, right? like if, if it was only the strategy then you could stop at yomi right like what's what's the positive part of execution in in that i guess i'm having scene? trouble answering there because there, um i'm not sure like which thing we're talking about so there's I don't some mean, i don't mean difficult execution i just mean purely the fact that you are using a controller yeah, then, yeah. Like there's analog skill involved. In right. It. Earlier, I was saying if you if you take away too much, you don't even have the yeah. game anymore. So right. so you're saying like, why even have that much? Why even have the game? Yeah. Uh, well, um, I like the immediacy of it. Uh, like I, even though I've designed many turn based games, I actually personally prefer real time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some kind of intangible fun factor I get from just how fast fighting games are. Yeah. Um, I like that they come down to one sixtieth of a second timing. And I, you know, I like that you can vary your timing a little bit. You can vary your spacing a little bit and it can have a big difference on, on the outcome. I guess those are, those are kind of just quick, easy to understand things, timing and distance uh, that I like that, that have a lot of interesting effects that fall out of them. I also like that um, they're so fast that you can't play them optimally. Mm-hmm. So something that comes up all the time in turn-based games like Yomi is people are trying to solve them. Yeah. People are trying yeah. to use math to play them the perfect way. And yeah. a whole other topic is that even if they could, okay, they're never going to solve Yomi. It's ridiculously complicated. I mean, it's right. hard enough to solve poker, which is orders of magnitude simpler than, than Yomi. But as they zero in on certain situations that are getting closer to being solved, we're not totally dead because they're not pure solutions. Mm-hmm. They're mixed solutions uh, right. where they have to randomly do one thing 32.6% of the time and so on. And are you familiar with donkey space from Frank yeah. Lance? Mm-hmm. Like how, you know, even if 
32% was the optimal thing I should do. If you're doing something wrong, if you're doing a move that you should do 30%, 70%, I should actually shift my range to play suboptimally to exploit you. So that you have all sorts of interesting stuff going on there, even when they get closer to solving it. But still, all the discussion of strategy revolves around this playing optimally stuff that doesn't exist at all in real-time games. You can't sure. you can't play them optimally. It's ridiculous. Uh, so... There's more. There's more leeway. There's more like space to express your personality or to have a play style or, or something in these mm-hmm. real-time games like like Street Fighter that uh, is, is less true in, in turn-based games. So I, I like sure. that too. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're making a multiplayer game. If you really care about multiplayer, you're going to make a real-time game. Period. I mean, like that's. Oh wait, say, say again. If you really care about. If you're making a video game. Yeah. And you really care about making them. It, like an amazing multiplayer game, you're gonna make a real time game. Like, so what, what? Me or anyone? No, no sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean you. Yeah, I meant you in like the general sense. Yeah. So what, David Serling, <laughs> you you will make a real time game. <laughs> you're prescribing me. <laughs> so what, why is that? Well, because um, turn based is it's not it's not ideal for multiplayer, right? It, I, I thought you were really into turn based though. Uh, Sims uh, primarily a single player game. And I make you know, Offworld is uh, RTS. It's a real time game. Real time right? game, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like. Well, but there are. I, I mean, I, I shouldn't be the one arguing in favor of, <laughs> of turn based games. Well, I guess maybe I should because well, I've made them. But Civ, <laughs> Civ is a turn based game, and you you play the multi. It's a multiplayer game in spite of it being a turn based game, right? Mm-hmm. Like the turn base is not helping the multiplayer work at all. It's like the multiplayer is a constraint, and then you figure out ways to make it work in multiplayer like part of it is like well let's get everyone on the same team let's get let's get the two people on two everyone on two teams so half of them can take turns at the same time or we're going to do a simultaneous turns mode where both sides can take take turns at the same time and that way there's there's half as much waiting like the waiting is this constant you know problem now it's 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 been improved immensely if you have a game that can work asynchronously right like both if it's you're talking about like the race for the galaxy thing where you can like both sides can kind of like do their moves at the same time, or it's something that you're playing on, you know, on the iPad or you're playing Ascension or whatever. And like, I do my turn and then it goes off to you and you do your turn. And, you know, I know that I'm not going to do my turn for another couple hours and that's fine. But if you're talking about like, we're sitting down at the same, same place, you know, facing off of each other and we're going to be playing a video game. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't know any reason why you would do that. Make a game like that and start as a, as a turn-based game. Like that seems like a, a terrible decision, right? Um, like board and card games. Yeah, I was going to say, way. what about board and card games? Because like... board and card games are terrible. I mean, real time is like, like you know, a half of one percent of the board game industry, right? Like, oh, that's sure, sure. That's why you said if you were going to make a video, video game, game, right? Exactly. I mean, yeah, if you were going to make a card game, oh, then well, yeah, I mean, obviously <laughs> it's turn based. I mean, what, what are you going to do? Um, but. Uh, I mean, that's what makes video games so powerful, right? Like, that, I mean, that is the engine. I mean, this is why you were talking about that. That's the engine for fighting games as well, is that it's, it's real time, right? I mean, they could have made a turn-based fighting game into a video game, right? I guess. I mean, like, and that might, that might be interesting as kind of like this weird one-off thing, right? But, like, you know, you, know, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't be like, hey, we're, we're designing Street Fighter Six, and, like, guys, I think we've been doing this wrong for decades. Like, we got to go turn-based. Should have been right? turn-based. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah, right. yeah, sure. I thought I thought for a moment you were maybe saying that uh, turn-based games can't make good multiplayer games. But you actually did not say that. Just yeah. that if you were to, you have to have a really good reason to make it turn-based. Because see, I, I just just finished my uh, 
a game Codex, which I feel is a fantastic turn-based multiplayer game. Yeah. <laughs> but, but that was starting yeah, from yeah, yeah. what about making card games? Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's totally different. Uh, okay, well, let's jump back to the timeline. Sure. Um, so you're, I assume you're, you're graduating. Yeah. And you, you know, mess around with adventure game. What, what happened next? Did you start making, did you get a different type of job out of, out of school? Uh, well, when I was still in college, uh, someone, I forget who it was, but someone told me about this thing called the Game Developers Conference, oh, which okay. you may have heard, of heard that. about that a little bit. <laughs> yeah. a little bit. What well, year, what year would this be? Uh, it was 1996 or seven or something. Oh, okay. Like well, that's that. pretty early. Um, all right. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, game develop. Uh, actually, it was called the, it's com- part of the computer the game, computer yeah. game developers conference. That's yeah, right. Yeah, my first one was in two thousand, so that's yeah, that's that's quite a while ago. Yeah, um, you're a young whippersnapper, well, aren't you? <laughs> um, I think we're. I mean, we must be about the same age. I just, <laughs> I just wasn't connected to the game industry. You had you had me beat by a few years. So um, okay. So anyway, someone told me about this thing, and uh-huh. uh, I thought, you know, I don't know anything about this yeah. conference at all, or anything about this whole world, but. I also don't know what kind of benefit I might may or may not get if I went to it, but probably I should go. I mean, if I'm interested in this sort of thing, I should just go and see what happens. Uh, so I went, and uh, I happened... It's just, it's just so coincidental that there was uh, a Puzzle Fighter game on the expo floor okay. by Capcom, and I played that, and someone came up to me and played me his name is joe kane okay and he said hey i remember i remember you we've met before i met you at a street fighter tournament and i said oh yeah yeah street fighter tournament mm-hmm. so uh, that was like the conversation starter and then uh we talked about you know street fighter a little bit and then we we're playing puzzle fighter and, and i told him how i really liked puzzle fighter i liked mm-hmm. it a lot uh, and he said oh why is that and i explained to him about how uh, it's really unusual as far as puzzle games go, and uh, there's just a lot about the design, about the the comeback factor. It has a really unusual property, where it has a comeback factor like many games. But what's different about it is that when you push, when you when you send gems to the other player, and their uh, side of the screen fills up, as they get closer and closer to losing, they also get more and more powerful. Mm-hmm, right. it's, it's kind of weird. Like in order to lose that game, you had to have gone through the the space where you're the most most possible power. Yeah. Uh, I told him that was really interesting. I had been kind of studying Puzzle Fighter. That's, and yeah, that's hard to do in a lot of games. Like, most games resist that type of mechanic. It's actually super weird. Uh, yeah. I would later go on to put that exact mechanic in Puzzle Strike. Yeah. That's where I first game. saw that mechanic. Right? I, never, <laughs> I never played Puzzle Fighter, but, like, yeah, I saw that you know, in Puzzle Strike. I'm like, wow, that's, that's hard to do because usually as you win, you're also getting more tools to win the game even better, right? Like, that's just... That's just how games yeah, work. Yeah, it's super bizarre. I don't really know of anything else that does it, but I really like that mechanic. So I told him about that. I told him I was like studying the game, and I'd even uh, been doing tests on the randomization because I was like, you know, do you get do you get red one fourth of the time? I don't know. Do you get what about red red like doubles because you get two gems at a time? It seems like maybe it isn't random. So I did a bunch of tests on that. I told him about that. Anyway, this guy overheard us, and he said, "Hey, uh, I've I've heard of you from Street Fighter tournaments too." <laughs> And his name was James Goddard. Uh, he told me that uh, he was looking for a game design intern for his consulting company. And okay. he thought that uh, I sounded like I knew what I was talking about with that whole puzzle fighter thing. And so maybe I would be his intern. And I was very excited. I said, definitely yes. Um, I, I did become that. And actually, uh, the, the guy that helped me 
write the script and the puzzles for the adventure game, I mentioned, hey, I have this friend, you know, maybe he could help with some things too. And uh, he also became oh, cool. an intern, so that yeah. that worked out. Uh, and what did this company do exactly? So they just game design consulting for Ooh. like which type of companies? Any type of companies. I mean, Atari was one of them at okay. the time. Uh, so Atari was an important one because mm-hmm. they were making a fighting game, okay. and uh, it was a very troubled project, and they mm-hmm. they needed help. They needed somebody that knew something about that type of game to get it yeah. back on track. Uh, he, he eventually uh, gave up his consulting and went to work there. Mm-hmm. But the point is that that was that whole thing was my first step into right. having any kind of job. Uh, Okay, cool. So was with first... him and with Atari. Right. So him. the first job was working on that fighting game some, or was it something different? No, actually, it, it was it was working with him, and then um, my friend went to work at a very small adventure game company after that. Okay. Uh, and I actually went with the friend. Okay. So, I, I mean, I, did, I helped Atari a little bit. and right. But my, my first real, like, full-time job as an employee was on... Adventure game. Okay. Was did that game come out? It did. What was it? So, well, actually, there was some. There's more than one project. Some okay. did come out. Some did not. Sure. The okay. one that did come out was Beavis and Butthead Adventure Game. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I helped with that. <laughs> uh, who knew? <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. All right. Uh, what did you do on it? Uh, what did I do on it? This all of the in between things, you know, mm. testing builds and. Helping implement the last bits of it. Uh, what, like, how should this puzzle work? What does these characters say? Is it really working the way we said? I, I just did all sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. Did you do you program at all? No, I don't program at all. It's seems like you could program. Uh, it seems like you have like the mindset for it, but you never. <laughs> I've tried it a couple times. I find it difficult. Yeah. I don't know. I've got a math brain, not a programming brain. I, it's I, interesting that it's different. Um, <laughs> Huh. All right. What? What? Do I, I sort of faked it on Street Fighter, but maybe you're getting okay. ahead of ourselves okay. if you want to stick with the timeline. What? What don't you like about programming? I mean, uh, what don't I like about it? I mean, uh, how I mean, it's, to it's not. That? I mean, I don't necessarily. <laughs> I don't necessarily like programming, but like, pro- if you're if you're gonna make video games, knowing how to program is like super useful. Right? Sure. Like that's that of course just. And the story, like that—that's that's, that's all. Just like I mean, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't program some random thing in my spare time just to do it, right? It's not. Yes, it's, it's super useful. Um, but um, I mean, it has to do with when you just barely start to do a thing. Sometimes you realize, wow, I'm really good at this. Mm-hmm. I've had that experience several times in my life, where um, when I was balancing some weapon values in, in some game, I realized, oh wow, I'm really good at thinking about. Mm-hmm. A large set of numbers that all have to kind of come together and okay. make sense. Yeah, like I was just immediately good at that, and I wanted to do more and more of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or when I studied math, I was immediately good at it and wanted to study more math. And when I try to do programming, I'm immediately terrible at it, hmm. and uh, just always sucked. So mm-hmm. I give up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I mean, I'm a designer and an artist and a fake programmer on Street Fighter. Right, okay, <laughs> well, we'll get to that. Um, okay, cool. So you're working on some adventure games. And then, then what happened? Uh, that company went into business, mm-hmm. and then I worked at 3DO. Okay. Yeah. Uh, assistant designer there. Uh, then 
I left there to go to a tech startup, uh, which went into business. Then I went to another tech startup that was uh, going to make a, a mobile game platform. It was funded by Ericsson, a huge company mm-hmm. for a huge amount of money. It was kind of one of the biggest things in the game industry that I think that no one's ever heard of. Oh, really? uh, yeah, they, they had a super expensive, huge E3 booth all scoped out for this enormous launch that we were right up to doing. And then just before that, uh, Ericsson lost a ton of money in a vaguely related field to this. And mm-hmm. their CEO was like, no, we need to cut all ties to everything that's even remotely related to anything. Gaming. You know, yeah, anything gaming. Uh, and they canceled the whole E3 presence and wow. canceled everything and closed the company down. Yeah, I've never heard of it. It's so. called Red Jade. Yeah. Yeah, I know you haven't. <laughs> <laughs> what were you doing? Like, um... I, I had a very interesting job, actually. It was, um, so the the owner of a platform wants good games on the platform. Right. So one thing they need to know is what are what are good games at all? Yeah, period. And okay. the, yeah, at all. And then they also need to know, well, what games would fit well on our platform, you know, given its, its constraints. Also, there's... Uh, Things that maybe you could do on our platform that you couldn't do, you know, like on a new Nintendo platform, mm-hmm. you can. There's usually a new verb or something, a new way to interact with games. Yeah. So we had that sort of thing too, and uh, beyond just knowing who, what games are good, what games would fit, what ways could we suggest that uh, developers take advantage of of these new features? Like, you know, maybe Game X is really popular, but they could just add one new feature, and it would like be a super good fit for our mm-hmm. console. So. Uh, my job was actually with developer relations of okay. um, part. It, it, it was really partly to make sure, sure that our business guy who really made those deals knew what he was talking about, was talking to the right people, was going after the right games, was, was pitching the right ideas, but also to start up our own internal development on what kind of things can we use to, to take advantage of this platform. So it was an awesome job, but uh, right. it didn't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I worked at many companies. I think it was four in a row or something that, that just, just went into business for all these various reasons. Uh, people ask me at the time, like, why don't you go work at a huge company like Microsoft or something? Right. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, yeah. Microsoft didn't hire me, but also there's something that just attracted to me about small startups. About sure. I mean, kind of the story I just told you that I got to do all these different things and Right. Even when I worked on some terrible project, just I got to show my stuff and have have a lot of uh, different roles, really. So I, I like that. I guess I'm an entrepreneur right, at heart. Right, right. Uh, the next thing was uh, getting hired at Backbone, where okay. uh, it was to work on um, some terrible wrestling game called Mucha Lucha, which was canceled. (laughs) But then I joined their team for Death Junior, which was on... Right, that was like a launch game for PSP, is that right? I don't know. What was was it called? I don't know if it was launch, but... It was one of the early ones. Yeah, it was one of the early ones. Um, So, yeah, I worked on that, and I was a designer on that. Uh, You were, like, design levels or, like design characters and say numbers and stuff like that basically uh it was actually so i had the opportunity to design levels and 
just immediately didn't want to do it. I'm okay. terrible <laughs> at designing level. I was tasked to design some level. I was just pulling my hair out, and there's this one guy I knew who he. Uh, his name was Lars. He loved first-person shooters. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a producer on another project. And I was like, hey, Lars, uh, you got any ideas for this level? And he's like, yeah, let me sketch something for you. Yeah. And he just right away came up with this whole thing. I was like, Lars, you're fantastic at this. Why aren't, why aren't you doing this? Yeah, yeah. You should be doing this. Uh, and then he did do it. And so I had him make the levels. <laughs> nice. <laughs> he went on to work on uh, Halo. Oh, wow. <laughs> he works at... Well, I, I, I'm sure I would be the same way at level design. Like that's just you know, the bad way. Or? Yeah, for sure. Like I, you would just not be. Something I'm a like system designer. That yeah, is how I think. For sure. When I take personality <laughs> tests, they tell me I'm a system designer. <laughs> right. I can't handle making levels. Somebody else needs to do that. Yeah. So I was the, I mean, partly a system designer. Like what, mm-hmm. what should be in this game? What kinds of weapons? How do you get yep. them? Can yep. you get power ups? Like how does it all interact? And then I also was the balancer of. Yep. You know, how many hit points do enemies have? What kind of attacks should they have? Uh, how much ammo and all that sort of stuff. Um, that's when I mentioned earlier that I just immediately felt good at that yeah, and yeah. wanted to do more of it. Uh, this thing, this company, though, Backbone, that's it, it's really confusing what they're called. Uh, they were Digital Eclipse and then they were Backbone. They were like a whole bunch of companies. They were a whole bunch like of, stapled together, sort of. Yes, they're a whole bunch of companies stapled together. Digital Eclipse is one of them that made like classic, like updates to classic games or republished classic games um, with emulation. They did a lot of uh, emulation work. So you got that in there, and then Backbone became a parent company that owned Digital Eclipse, but also owned other companies okay. that got stapled on. So I bring this up because the Digital Eclipse thing was going on around us this whole time, and um, Capcom was interested in doing emulation of their old games. Okay. Uh, there, I, I remember a kind of unusual thing where I think it was Bionic Commando. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure that was the game it was that Capcom said they would publish an update to Bionic Commando. I mean, like an emulation of, a, of uh-huh. the old version, but they can't because it's impossible to emulate because it was like programmed in like the most fucked up way that. Like, it just can't be properly emulated. But we had this amazing dude whose, like, mm-hmm. whole world is emulation. And he just lives and breathes it. And he's right. awesome at it. And he heard about this. And he's like, really? <laughs> so in two days, he, he, you know, gave him a build. He was like, here's your game running on whatever platform you want. Wow. Perfectly emulated. And, it, and it, well, maybe not perfectly, but pretty, like, you know, 98%. Um they were blown away, and then that got us the contract for Capcom Classics Collection. I didn't have anything to do with that. That was just that just it happened. Just happened yeah. But then someone came up to me and was like, "Hey, Serlin, so we have this thing with Capcom. They want to put a bunch of classic games together. I think Street Fighter's in it. Mm-hmm. We need somebody to be in charge of this. We don't really have anybody. Uh, you seem to know more about Capcom than anyone else that works here. Mm-hmm. Maybe you want to do it." Yeah. And I was like, "Hell yeah, I'll do it." Yeah. <laughs> so, so I became the producer of that uh-huh. uh, and kind of the caretaker of their brand. Like, let's make sure... I was really into making sure we present this in the best possible way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was proud to be involved with that. And Capcom was also talking about doing other projects. Mm-hmm. Maybe they would do a new Bionic Commando, a completely new one. Maybe they would do a new Puzzle Fighter or a Street mm-hmm. Fighter or who knows what. And I was like, what, really? Maybe you'll do a new Street Fighter? Right, right. Uh, so there, were, I mean, there's a lot that went on there, and a lot of talks. It took years and years, but uh, they did finally sign uh, an, 
updated uh, Puzzle Fighter and remake of Super Turbo Street Fighter, okay. which is called Street Fighter HD Remix. Okay. For what, what platform? Xbox 360 and PS3. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, and so I was the project lead of those. Of both of those projects? Yeah, design lead. Okay. So how much did those... How much were those remakes and how much... Like, I don't know. Just tell me about those projects, Eric. So for Puzzle Fighter... Uh, I told them, look, Puzzle Fighter is fantastic. Mm-hmm. You, we just need to have better graphics. But the thing is, the balance is fucked. Uh, there's only two characters. Like, all the characters are really similar. They only need to send different drop patterns, or they can send a different number of gems. So patterns of gems and how many gems is the only thing that differentiates them. But there's two characters, Ken and Donovan, that are the best. And they're fine. So the game of Puzzle Fighter is just playing Ken and Donovan. Yeah. But, you know... Can't we have the other ones be good too? And Capcom was like, "Well, sure. It it doesn't sound that hard to change, right?" And we're like, "Not really. It's it's just a bunch of patterns and multipliers." So, uh, so they were they were open from the beginning to tweaking the games. So yeah, on on that one, I suggested that we do that, and they said that sounds great. Let's do it. So they said, "Let's have uh, let's call." uh, Also, they wanted to make the make the game based on the Dreamcast version that had something called X, Y, and Z mode, which are three completely different games. Okay. Like, X mode is what everyone knows as Puzzle Fighter, and there was mm. crazy nonsense Y and Z mode that were like, one of them was like Tetris Attack, where you rotate the gems differently. Anyway, okay. they're totally different. So they said, we want to have X, Y, and Z mode, but how about this? You can have X prime, Y prime, and Z prime mode, and those are the same modes with your balance changes. Oh, so we would have the original. So it has, you can pick... For- the original of all three games or the updated balance of all three games. Well, that's, that's always the safest way to develop if you can do it. Yeah, way. we didn't give it a second thought. I said, fine, let's yeah. do it. We're done. Yeah. So that's what we did, and we shipped it. Then on Street Fighter... Uh, was it easy to... I mean, not easy. Was that, what was the right term for it? Like, I mean, was it pretty clear to you how to make, like, what changes to make to balance out the characters? Did it, did it work the way you wanted it to? Uh, no, it was not clear. I mean, it was hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, it was clear what was wrong, and... Uh, I mean, the appro- the starting approach was clear to me. It's that everybody liked that game already. Yeah. Everybody I knew to play that liked it. Uh, and that meant that I didn't want to mess with Ken and Donovan. Because yep. that, that's the game they all knew. So I want to give them the game... You didn't of, want to hurt those characters. Yeah, I want to give them the same Ken and Donovan. Let them yep. play that same game they liked before. But just bring the other characters up. Instead of being trash, like... Why are they trash? Well, it's because too many of them are too close to just sending you pre-built things. They need to be a little bit more jumbled. And there can be some... Uh, there's some slot factor we have of, like, somebody can Were be... they fundamentally different from the two main characters? Like, in that way? I mean, I don't I don't know the game well enough to understand exactly what you're saying about that. Oh, okay. Like, like you, you don't have to explain it all, but, like, was it... Was it, like, a quantitative thing or a qualitative difference between, like, everyone else and those two main characters? What do you mean by quantitative or qualitative? Well, um, when you when you break like, your own gems, you like set- some some characters are like just like quantitatively superior to other characters, right? Like they're like yeah. these two characters are similar, like they have they do kind of the same thing, but like really, like this one is actually better than that one in every way because of like these numerical reasons, right? Well, it's kind of like that. I mean, it, when you break gems on your side, you send gems to the opponent and they are trying to match up like all the reds or something right. so all, all this is really just about like uh, do i always send you reds on the left mm-hmm. because if so then you could always build your own reds one space over and now you've got a 
you know, two wide of reds. So uh, it's, it's there's some drop patterns that were just way too easy to build against to, mm. to set, set it up so that when you got all those gems, you were unstoppable. Mm. So nobody picked those characters. Right. So I had ideas about uh, how to slightly change those old ones to, to make them better, and we tested it. You know, 90% of what I thought worked out, the other 10%, we did another iteration, and it, it just kind of all worked. Sure. There was a, another note about the, the diamond trick, which mm -hmm. I'm sure you don't know about. Mm -hmm. So in that game, there's a diamond. Every 25th piece is the diamond. When it touches, uh, when you drop it down, whatever piece the diamond touches, like if it touches a yellow piece, it will break all the yellows on the screen. Okay. So every 25 pieces, you can break all of one color. Now, there's a glitch in the game. If you don't use the glitch, if you just play normally, the amount of gems you will send to the opponent is the number of gems you broke mm -hmm. divided by two. Okay. Because it's just so damn many. Right. <laughs> they thought that they should tone it down. Right. But there's a glitch where the moment the diamond touches, but just before anything actually breaks, if you press the rotate button... And furthermore, you have set it up that pressing the rotate button will actually do two rotations instead of one because the thing is falling in a narrow column and it has mm -hmm. no room to rotate only once. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you set it up just right and you press the rotate button exactly one time and flip it, the last possible moment, a bug will happen where instead of being divided by two, it's something like, it's very complicated what it is, but it's basically like times 1.1. 1 .1. Okay. Way, way more. Uh -huh. And the game is really defined by that diamond trick. It's important. Okay. That, uh, was, that became the game. Basically. It became the game. And as a player, I kind of liked it. Mm -hmm. And most other players kind of liked it too. So now I'm confronted as a developer with yep. the same thing that we've talked about. Over. So this yep. game is defined by a bug. What do I do? Well, okay. in this case, if there's two separate questions. One is like, the dynamics of the game. How does that play out? And I kind of liked it. Mm -hmm. But another one was the execution. It's like a finicky, weird thing. Like, what am I going to put this in the how to play section? Right. It would be crazy. But it's also crazy not to put it there. Yep. So I said, here's what we need to do. We need to replicate these dynamics, but in a non-stupid way. Okay. So uh, if we just said the diamond always does the diamond trick, that actually doesn't... That's not the same, because you had to do this setup. You couldn't do it all the time before. Mm -hmm. uh, and I said, okay, what about this compromise? It just happens all the time. You don't need a setup. But it doesn't multiply it by 1.1. That's ridiculous. What about 80%? Mm -hmm. Like, the original developers thought 50% of the damage was, was okay. But we know from playing it that they scaled it down too much. It really should have only been scaled down to maybe 80%. So we tried that. It worked great. The end of story. That's why he shipped it. <laughs> wow, that is stressing. Yeah, uh, huh. yeah. I mean, like, yeah, exactly. Like, whatever, whatever those bugs are, that becomes the game. And then maybe sometimes that game is actually okay. I guess, like, <laughs> that can happen. I was one of the three best players in the country at Street Fighter Alpha Two, and that uh -huh. game is defined by a bug, which we call the Vie CC. After mm -hmm. Alex Vie, the move is called a custom combo. The mm -hmm. bug is that. When you activate your custom combo, you get you go into a mode on purpose, this is not a bug, where you can do a whole bunch of moves really fast. And if you activate it kind of close to someone and immediately sweep, do a low kick, mm -hmm. they cannot block that unless they were already blocking. Mm -hmm. And that really defines that entire game. Uh, 
as a player, it, I thought it was very weird, but I kind of liked it. Mm-hmm. So, so, so yeah, I mean, it depends on all yeah. sorts of things whether these bugs work out or not. Yeah. But to our timeline, dist- bugs, bugs like that are essentially random design. Yeah, right? they're random design. Every, it's like a mutation, but every once in a while, a mutation is like yeah, like interesting. So anyway, go ahead. Uh, Street Fighter was the other project yes. in that uh-huh. bundle, and um, I didn't really imagine that we would do that same kind of thing with Street Fighter that we do with Puzzle Fighter. Uh-huh. So uh, when I talked to Capcom at the time, I said, okay, so we'll be doing an updated version. You guys want new art. Uh, Udon should do it. We're going to have OC Remix do the music. But as far as the gameplay, um, he- here's, here's the thing. T-Hawk always bothered me. When you hold up with Zangief, it takes five frames for Zangief to jump. And that gives you five frames to do his 360 motion on his pile drive. T-Hawk jumps in only three frames. So when you hold up with him, he jumps quicker. You don't have as long to do the 360. It's annoying. I always hated that. I, I know we don't want to mess with it, but can we just make T-Hawk take five frames to jump? Mm-hmm. That's really all I'm asking here. <laughs> right? The most ridiculously small thing. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, they were probably going to say no, but I thought I would ask. And they said, well, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Do you have any more ideas? <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, well, I do have this one other idea. And, and I said that. And they're like, okay, what if you had even more? What if you had a lot of ideas? <laughs> wow, and I was, really like, for I was like, this meeting is not going the way I imagined yeah. at all. Uh, and I was like, well. That must have been very exciting. I was like, yeah, this is exciting. Like, I mean, there's a lot of ways we can improve this game. I just didn't think the, the balance of it. Like, this game has been played in tournaments for 14 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, people are freaking good at this game. And we know all sorts of things about this matchup is unfair, this matchup's close, you know, we need to address this and not that. Do you guys really want to do that? Uh, won't people be mad or something? Do what you want to do. <laughs> so you're, like, try, you, were, you were worried about, like, you know, should I really change this thing that everyone knows about? And like, yeah. yeah, should I really change this thing that everyone knows about? And here they're asking, uh, you know, if I have a million more ideas. And I said, well, are people going to be mad that we're, like, changing things? Or what's the story here? And they said, no, it'll be great because... We can sell this as a new game. We'll have the old game that has no changes, okay. and then we'll have whatever you want. And it's like people are basically buying two, two games, games, and yeah. this is going to be a great marketing thing for us. Yeah, that, that's great. I mean, that's, yeah. that's I said, smart. Yeah. I said great. Uh, then over at uh, Backbone, they thought, well, not so great. They didn't. <laughs> they, not not because nothing to do with the game itself, or yeah. or my ideas, or anything like that. They're only thinking about just. The bottom line, just how much is going to take how to much, make the project? Yeah, how much is going to take to do this? Uh, and they're like, "Is this even realistic? Who's going to work on this? How are you going to get this done? Mm-hmm. How how hard is it even to modify this game that's like super old and programmed in assembly?" Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they were not really hot on it and didn't really didn't give me anything. They, I think they just hoped it would go away and that, <laughs> and, and probably it would have gone away uh, if. Almost anyone else had been working on this but me, but I was super determined. Right. And uh, as soon as I realized, you know, it was possible. Oh, another thing is that I played in tournaments all over the country, right. and uh, I knew about the, the I knew about this way before we could really start the project. So, as I went to these events and talked to people, I would say things like, "Oh, yeah, you see, see what happened there with Ken? You see that, you know, hurricane kick into throw? It's kind of annoying, isn't it?" Maybe a little too good. 
<laughs> you know, I would, I would try to get their comments, and I asked them all sorts of questions sure, that yeah, they didn't yeah. realize were Why interview questions yeah. about, you know, should this be different or should it yeah, not, yeah, yeah. or did you like this or do you not like that? Uh-huh. Um, okay, so I had built up all this, you know, knowledge from people about and my own experience of what we might do. I mean, you but, were like the right person in the right place I was at the exact, time for that project, so yes. like you couldn't pass that up, right? Basically, so. right. I, I couldn't. Um, I also had other things I was working on. I worked as a contractor on Kongai for Congregate.com, which is a okay. virtual card game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also worked uh, for six weeks uh, as a contractor at, at Ubisoft in Montreal. Mm-hmm. They wanted to hire me. I told them. Uh, Look, Street Fighter. It's like, <laughs> right. what am I supposed to do here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I also talked to Rob Pardo about maybe being mm-hmm. the um, person that helps design all their tournament systems. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like didn't call him back for a while because there was I was like, is this Street Fighter thing happening? Is it not? I don't yeah. know. I don't know what to say. And then you know, I lost that opportunity too. Uh, it's all for Street Fighter. Yeah, yeah. All right, so. Um, Backbone is like not really supporting this idea, but I was so determined. I was like, I have to figure this out. I'm going to just look at the code myself, even though I'm not a programmer and don't know anything. And this is, it's assembly code. It's just <laughs> mountains of assembly code and all sorts of files and folders. And who knows what the hell anything even is. Yeah. There was some guy in Japan that supposedly could help me, but he never did. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That sounds crazy. So I thought the first thing I want to do is change anything at all and have it appear in the just game somehow yeah. just to prove that it's even possible. Yeah. And that would be an enormous step. Mm-hmm. Uh, so by looking at all these crazy files, I somehow figured out that... Was there any documentation? No, there was no documentation. Just, just pure assembly code. Yeah, I mean, some of it's... Okay, there... Like, were there Not any? all of it is... Okay, some of it is hex, some of it... Is hex data. Some yeah. of it is assembly. Uh-huh. There is some non-assembly code too. Like maybe it was C. I don't even know. Okay. But that had to do with uh, the Dreamcast version, kind of running assembly shit inside it. Okay. I, I don't know. I don't understand. But I had all these files, and my goal was to find some that had to do with hitboxes. And somehow I kind of had the. I was suspicious of the, like you know. There's a lot of hex data here. I'm pretty sure the hitboxes are. In this, I can see patterns in the code about character numbers, like Ryu is always zero one or zero zero or something like that. Zero one, I think he is. Uh-huh. So I came to like figure out what numbers different characters were, uh, but now I have all these hex numbers, and how am I supposed? To, what am I supposed to change a hex number and see what happens? Like I need some something. Yeah. So I had uh, this book called the Yoga Book Hyper, which is a book from Japan mm-hmm. that has all hitbox data, all pictures of every move in Super Turbo Street Fighter with the hitboxes overlaid. I have no idea wow. how they got that, how they created it. Yeah. So, I mean, it was somehow created, it was somehow machine created, like uh-huh. they didn't like, make it right up hand. on, the, no, no, because yeah. there's things you could never possibly know in this. So they I must had, have parsed the code, basically. Yeah, yeah. De- must... Decompile it or whatever. I mean, I guess with assembly code, you don't even need to decompile it, it's just, it's just assembly code. So anyway, go ahead. Yeah, so I had this book, and it had pictures of every hitbox. So I was looking through it, and I was like, I need to find a hitbox that's weird. And okay. then and then that's going to be my key. I'm going to look for that. This is like <laughs> this is like deciphering the Rosetta Stone, basically. Yeah. Like, it's not that far off from it. Anyway, go I was ahead. About, I was about to use the term <laughs> Rosetta Stone. So uh, uh, I, I looked through Ryu's hitboxes uh 
it was him and Blanca, I think, where I found a weird one. He has a low fierce, Ryu has a low fierce where he reaches up very high, and the hitbox is very tall and narrow, but most, most of them are not shaped like that. So I, I thought, okay, that's kind of weird. Also, there were two of them. He, early in the move, he hits here, like by his shoulder, and then higher in the move. He has a second hitbox, mm-hmm. two in the same move. One of them weird, one of them not. I thought, I'm going to look in this hex code. I kind of know sort of where to look, because I know zero one one is Ryu. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And eventually I did find what I believed was that move, and that was kind of the, the Rosetta Stone. Because yeah. th- cause now if I, know, if I know that, I can figure out... Um, like, it was a set of four numbers or something. So what are the four numbers? What do they mean? They have to be positions? Have to be the corners or something? Or? Maybe the corners, right? That's what I thought. It yeah. turns out they weren't. The oh, really? Co- no, they weren't the corners. It's like the... Was it coordinate and width and height? Yeah. Okay. That's sure. right. That's the option. The other option. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Coordinate and width and height yeah. was what it is. Uh, in the- Well, that's the best way to do it because that's only four numbers as opposed to eight. So anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Oh, why would it be eight the other way? Well, if it was four, if it was four corners, you need X and Y for four points. Oh well, I figured right. it would be one corner and then. Oh yeah, little... you're right. You're right. You're right. You could you could do that. All right. Well. Well, but it wasn't that way. Yeah, it wasn't so, that way. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and so that now that once I realized that these what what was what sort of, I thought okay, now I need to change something. But wait a minute, if I change something about this hitbox, how am I going to know? Like. Hitboxes are invisible. Mm-hmm. It's going to be hard to verify that I really did it correctly. Right. So what I should do is I should turn off a hitbox. And I thought, you know, the hitbox I've always wanted to turn off is Cammy. She has a spinning back fist where she kind of jumps and sticks her arm out. And it used to go through fireballs in previous versions of the game. But in this game, they nerfed it. And it doesn't go through fireballs and it's garbage. And I don't know why they did that. It, it, it should just not have a hitbox, a vulnerable box by her uh, stomach so that fireballs can go through it. So I'm going to try to figure out which one corresponds to that. I'm going to delete it or put all zeros or something and see if I can throw a fireball through her when she does it in the game. And I did. <laughs> I was like, hell yeah, it is on. <laughs> I changed the thing in the game, a thing I meant to change. And it happened. Yeah, and it happened. And then some programmers kind of in the desk or two next to me like sort of realized what was going on uh-huh. and they looked at what I was looking at and they felt so bad for me. They're like, dude, how do you even know anything? How do you, you don't, you can't, you don't understand any of this do you. And I was like, yeah. no, I don't understand the first thing about this. And so they kind of took pity on me and they like read through the code and they uh-huh. sort of started to coach me about, okay, this does this, this does that. Like most of it's mysterious, but at least we know a couple things and it started putting me in a, on a track, uh, where they showed me like probably the input detection of how you do the moves is like over here. Mm-hmm. This is like the middle third of an inspirational movie or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> this is like the montage scene. Now, yeah, you know? right. So I forget what special move. There's some special move I thought should have had a different input motion, and now I kind of knew how to do that, and I tried that, and after a couple tries, I got that to work. Then I realized, okay, this is a thing. It's now possible. I've changed the hitbox. I've changed the motion for a move. It's possible to change things. I quickly ran up against the wall of how much I can change, sure. but I I can do some things. And at this point, Backbone is like, "All right, all right, <laughs> we'll give you half a programmer. Uh-huh. We'll assign you part time somebody to help you." Mm-hmm. And so that's what we did. The whole rest of the project was how much time did you have? <laughs> we were scheduled to have about a year, mm-hmm. and because of art delays, we had about eighteen months. Okay. 
Um, and I approach the, the balancing as, as like to come scheduled to come to a close at a year. And then any time extra we had would just be bonus. And it turns out that we were super lucky because there were a lot of balance problems mm-hmm. still going on at the one year point that yeah. were all ironed out by the. So by 18 the months is not bad. That's not, it's that's really not, long. That's not, yeah. that's not too bad. Yeah. Um, Wow. I mean, the first few months of that are pretty slow when it comes to balancing anything. It was more about getting the rest of the project together. But I, but I was sort of working on the balance. Did you recruit people for? Because I mean, were there players at your skill level at Backbone, or did you have to find people to like? No, there really weren't. So uh, we, so Capcom demanded and Backbone that uh, anyone who played it had to play it on site. Okay. Right. Which I thought was bad. Yes, uh, but that's not and complained unusual. about that a lot. But, yeah, but they would not budge. So I'm like, okay, fine. It's your game, your rules. You're paying for it. Everybody will. Everybody who plays it will play it on site, just like you said. Uh, and we had this policy where we didn't advertise it, mm-hmm. but we put out the word behind the scenes <laughs> okay. that anybody was welcome, literally anybody. Okay. But we wanted the t- best players. Yeah. We wanted all the best players to come, but we, if you weren't the best player, we would never turn you down. We literally turned no one down ever to play test the game, okay. no matter what their skill level or anything. And anyone who asked, as long as they could show up, they could test it. So it, I tried super hard to get all the top tournament players, and we got a, a large number of them. Okay, how were the? What did the community think about the, what you were doing? Like, were they excited for it? Like, did they? Were they skeptical? Like, I, don't, I don't think people knew what to think. Yeah. During it, uh, there, there were, there's a lot of confusion and misinformation about what we were even doing at all, and uh, Capcom really just I don't know didn't manage that or something. Mm-hmm. So uh, I talked to them about okay, we need we need to let people know like the facts about what's actually happening here, yeah. and so t- together we decided that uh, I would write a series of. 20 articles. <laughs> <laughs> so that's really <laughs> Yeah, I, I tend to write series of 20 articles uh, about all these characters, okay. like character by character, what yep. are we doing? Uh, also, you know, overall, before we get to the specific characters, just like generally what's the approach. And then people would start to see what our goal was and they right. and maybe we get on board. Yeah, they like... pub- published through, we agreed that they'd, they'd be published on Capcom's site. Uh, CapcomUnity.com as well as my own site. Mm-hmm. So we would both... I would let sure. them do it first and then I would do it later. Uh, so we... Are, those, are they still up on your site? They are, yeah. Okay. Serlin.net slash SF, I think, gets right. to all of them. Yeah. Um, they're still and there. How did people respond to what you wrote? So uh, that was... That turned the tide positively. People okay. were more into it because we had... There was a bunch of things they thought we would screw up that... Now they realize that we weren't doing those things at all. Yeah. And then when it comes to what we are doing, uh, of course, some people hated it and some people liked it. But uh, there was now more of a case like, look, we know what we're doing. These these changes. Here's the reasoning for all of them yeah. ahead and, of time. And I assume you messaged up front that like, but the old version will be there. Yes, of period. course. We're so, very like, clear about that. Yeah. Um, um, so still mixed, but more positive yeah. than before. Uh, but then... When it was finally released, uh, it was like super negative buzz. Really? And it, yeah, it was a total disaster. <laughs> wow. What, what happened? So 
it's hard to even know like what the real source of it is, but old school players of the original game just seem to not want anything different, different. no matter what mm-hmm. and spread a lot of misinformation, things that are just factually incorrect about the new game to make it sound bad and had this whole like smear campaign about it. And I thought, oh, whatever, like it'll stand on its own, but they did a lot of damage and they started like convincing more and more people sure. who don't know anything. Right. And the less people know, the more they're just going to listen to the, you yeah. know, what the general you know, community comment are, is. So yeah, yeah it's uh, to turn around. Right. So it's something that PR should manage, but Capcom did really literally nothing about it because at the, at that same time they were getting ready for the launch of street fighter four. Mm-hmm. And so all their attention was on that and they just yeah. didn't even care about what was going on with this game. Another thing I thought or I hoped would happen is that, you know, this, if you judge it on its merits, I think it's super good. I think we totally accomplished what we set out to do of take a game that was already good, fix a bunch of balance problems so that it's better balanced, make some things that some moves that were difficult to do, make them easier, but not in a way that disrupted high level play. High level play did the same thing either way. And then also added some more fun factor. Those are the three goals was, mm-hmm. was improve the balance, make execution easier on just some things, uh, and, you know, not radical, uh, and put in just fun little properties to moves here and there. Mm-hmm. So I think we succeeded in all those things. And what I had hoped that when people judged it on its merits, it would, be a big popular game and we had some japanese players come and play uh they uh, at a, oh yeah another place we were allowed to test was behind the scenes at the evolution championships oh, uh, okay. in las vegas yeah. so that uh, meant people from all over the world were able to test it there and Tokido is one of the best players in the world personally reviewed every single change literally there were about 100 differences between yeah. the old version and ours so i went through all 100 one by one controller in his hands to feel exactly what all of them are and said Tell us every single thing that you want different or that you don't like about these. And he said, I like 99 of these changes, and one of them I think you should adjust. Wow. And I did adjust the one that he didn't like, exactly how he said. Uh-huh. Uh, and, I, and I said, so what is your overall rating of the game? And he said, um, good. <laughs> pretty good. And I was like, pretty good. I just showed you 100. How... Hard would it be to show you a hundred changes that you like? It's uh, basically impossible. Right. Like, I can't believe you liked all of them. Uh-huh. So, shouldn't your rating be super great, best game in the world? And he said, can't be super great, best game in the world until it survives tournament play. Highest rating I can give at this moment, what I see in front of me, is pretty good to very good. So, very good, but not best game. I need to play it in tournaments first. Okay. And I said, okay. That's totally fair. Sure. So you're giving it the highest rating you could possibly give it, given your experience so far. And he said yes. So I was like, okay, it's going to be a hit in Japan. And the Japanese players have a lot of influence over the American players. The American yeah. players like look up to them as gods. Sure. So once the Japanese players like it, there'll be no you know, way around that. But it didn't come out in Japan because of political reasons between Capcom Japan and Capcom US. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, <sighs> Those branches don't like each other, and they have a lot of problems of uh, licensing anything. The Street Fighter license is owned by Capcom USA, which is totally strange. You probably had no idea about that. I, I mean, I didn't even know they're different. I mean, aren't they owned by the same company? Yeah, but they have domain over that different licenses. That stuff is so bizarre when, like, companies are split <laughs> up in different ways, and, like, 
But like one thing, oh, you're right. All right. Totally weird, right? <laughs> yeah. So um, the rules was that Capcom uh, USA was allowed to publish anything with the Street Fighter name uh, in the USA. Uh-huh. Also, anywhere else in the world, but not in Japan. Right. Only Capcom Japan can publish in Capcom Japan, and they didn't want to do it. For, for, and zero to do. It's not like they didn't like the gameplay or something. I mean, it's, it, it would be ridiculous to think that if you saw the inside of it. It's just they don't want to work together. Yeah. <laughs> and the licensing is extremely complicated in general between them, but doubly complicated on Street Fighter, and they just couldn't work it out. And they never. So there was just no Street Fighter Two on PS3 in Japan. That's right. That's weird. Well, no. Street Fighter 2 HD Remix. Uh, I don't know if there was... Right. Hyper Fighting. There was no updated Street Fighter. Yeah, no, there was. Seems like it'd be a popular product. Yeah, uh, the Japanese players said it would. They were all like, (laughs) can you please release this? This looks really good. We want to play it. And it's a downloadable (laughs) game, too, right? That's right. So it's not like you could import discs or something. Uh, That's true. Yeah. They later, years later, they did make a disc, but, I mean, it was a downloadable game. Right. Anyway, so the Japanese wow. players did not come to our rescue because they never got to play the game. Wow. <laughs> did you... So when you... But... So good American players were coming to your office to play. All the time, yeah. And were they... They were positive about the game when they when they had it in their hands? You yeah. Know, that, so that's a real frustrating situation is that um, a lot of them were, po- were pretty positive. And then when all this like negativity came out, just disappeared. Just never said anything. And, you know, the negative voices were the loudest. Then some of the people that helped were very negative. Uh, but their complaints are of the form that I did not listen to them. Sure. And it's, like, super ironic because, like, the very same people who are saying that, tons of stuff that they wanted is in the game. It's just that everybody wants different things. You, mm-hmm. you know, somebody wants X, somebody wants opposite of X. So one of them gets listened to, right? Right. So for any given issue, like... I did listen to these people and not these people, but there's this, I don't know, a lot of negativity that came out of, of that whole process. Wow. Well, that, it's a huge bummer. That sounds it, really disappointing. That must yeah. be hard. Yeah, it, it was super disappointing. It was like, I don't know what to do with the whole fighting game world right. ever again after really being treated so, so badly there. I mean, yeah. I broke my neck for 18 months to make them the best game I could, and... What did I get out of it? You know, right. I I felt so relieved that it ended up being such a good game because for all those months I was thinking there, there's so many ways that I could mess up this balance. There's so many ways that it could end up just being worse, mm-hmm. and then it wasn't. Like it all worked. Yeah. But is there a group somewhere that like like plays it that way or like? Is uh, there... I don't. Well, for you know, this has been many years now. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. So for. A few years, yes. Um, now I don't know. Sure. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Wow. Uh, it was at Evolution the first year uh, that it was released, and it was the second biggest, second most popular game. And then the following year, under under the new rules. Yep. Under the new rules. Okay. Yep. And then the following year, it was dropped. Wow. And then the year after that, or something, um, it was still dropped, but. Players uh, the, of the older version like had banded together and had created such a huge side tournament for the older game that then that became like almost an official game in the in the tournament lineup. 
So that, that's pretty frustrating. I'm like, wow, really? Yeah. <laughs> it because it, she treats it as such a zero sum game, right? Like when it doesn't have to be, right? Like right. Yeah, the old game is still the old game, and you gave them the old game. That's right. And uh, player psychology is is, is hard. <laughs> uh, they they actually hate the old game too in in our update. So uh, oh really? Oh, so there's there's two reasons that one might say that they hate it. One is that uh, when you play the old game in the updated version, uh, the art. Let's see, you can play it with you can play it with new character art or, yeah. or old character art, uh-huh. but you cannot play it with new or old backgrounds. You can okay. only play with new backgrounds. Okay. The reason is that uh, emulating the original backgrounds is a little bit difficult. Would have added a month or two or mm-hmm. something, and Capcom said they didn't want to pay for it. Yeah, so we didn't do it. Anyway, that's... they claim that you know it looks ugly and they don't like the backgrounds. Like, okay, yeah. that's too bad. But, I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna emulate, you really kind of gotta go all the way. I mean, if you're gonna like, well, say it's not, it's not actually. I mean, it's, it's actually not emulated. But I oh, said, sorry, I, I, whatever, I said I mean, whatever that means. I mean, I mean, just like if if you're delivering the old version, the whole point of delivering the old version is that it's like a release valve where it's like okay. This is exactly the old thing. Well, I thought the whole point was really to get the gameplay right. Is it? I guess maybe part of the story. Well, you know, my 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 point is the the whole point of having this, the option to play the original is it should just be the original, right? Since you're at, you know it gives you the it gives you the option to then make whatever changes you want to, right? Um, I guess I don't see it as really that important whether the artwork is there as long as the gameplay is identical. I mean, sure, all things being equal. Yeah, a lot of artwork too, but I thought it was a minor issue. The gameplay is a major issue, though, with that game in particular, because the programming is so fucked up. Uh, the arcade version is like the the real version, and then uh-huh. all there's this long string of attempts to port it to other platforms, and they're all fucked. They're oh, all okay. somehow wrong, and uh, everyone's looking at our version to be like, "Are you going to be the first one, you know, that finally doesn't fuck up this game and yeah. make the gameplay work properly?" So the second reason that people might not like it is that they've claimed that we did fuck it up. Okay. But it's actually just factually incorrect, and it really is exactly the same. Okay. But it's part of the misinformation like campaign that has gone on. Like You can look at the specific complaints, like the game is different in X way, but it isn't. It factually is not different in that way. Right. We, we, we went through a painstaking process to exactly match the original gameplay. But, it, again, that's one of the top two reasons to hate even the old gameplay <laughs> is because it's supposedly different. Wow. Man, that seems like a very thankless job in that in that respect because, I mean, well, you I went... think of like all the other people who could have been in your position <laughs> who knew so much less about Street Fighter 2 and like what kind of a job they would have done to like bring it forward, right? Like, so, you know, like... It, it, if that type of thing happens, it kind of looks like a Doom project, right? Like, or like a Doom, you know, like it's just, it's like impossible, basically. Um, yeah, I know some people that said it would have uh, gone over much better if it just was called something else. Yeah, yeah, right. It's um, like, hey guys, it's a new game. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's, that definitely is uh, something to think about. Um, because, yeah, then you don't have, you don't have those expectations and, you know, I mean... Theoretically, if you you know if you're really if you're really confident in the game you made, it should be able to stand on its own as it is, right? So, wow. All right. So what? So what happened next? I mean, did you stay at Backbone longer, or what? What happened? 
Uh, well, I was also working at um, Congregate, and made uh-huh. a virtual card game. Yep. I forget the exact timing there, but I, I did leave after Street Fighter and started to do my own thing. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, another thing that went on. Um, when Capcom was talking about all the projects they might want to do, the update to Puzzle Fighter and the update to the old Street Fighter was uh, that was a big one. But another one was making a new, a whole new Street Fighter, not just a change to the old one. Okay. Uh, and I said, hell yes, you should do that. Are you kidding me? Like, you haven't made a Street Fighter in forever. Yeah. Uh, we should make a new modern one. That's what we should do. And Capcom USA is like, well, we do have the rights to the Street Fighter license. Like, so we, not like the Japanese people, they are a parent company, but we're supposed to be the ones that are doing things with this. So maybe we could do something with it. And I was like, yes, let's do something with it. We will develop a pitch of what you should do. Uh, and I got Backbone very interested because yeah. they're like seeing the the money of this huge project and it's like, yeah, we will invest a bunch in that. Let's put, you can have a team to make a pitch. Oh yeah, that's a whole other thing I kind of left out is my job at Backbone. Even though I did work on the Street Fighter thing uh, for years, my job was kind of like their pitch department. Okay. Like companies would... We knew they would want to make a new version of whatever game, but how should it really work? Mm-hmm. And so I would create the design documents that would prove to the company that we know what we're doing and get yeah. the contracts. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I've done that a bunch of times on a bunch of projects. Let's do it for Street Fighter. Let's show them what we would do if we were to make it. And we worked on design documents, on 3D assets uh, that were you know, to be representative of the kind of thing we were going for. Really a lot went into it. Uh, and what, so we pitched it to Capcom USA. They were pretty into it. The wheels started turning. And then one day we heard, no, it will never happen. And uh, management had changed in Capcom Japan. Mm-hmm. So this has like nothing to do with, this is like in another universe, like yeah. a million miles away, that nothing to do with our project. But some management had changed, and the new management said, they don't like what Capcom USA is doing, so they are unilaterally canceling all projects in Capcom USA, no matter what they are, <laughs> except unless they involve emulation, okay. emulation of old games. Those are okay. Everything else automatically canceled, no matter what it is, Right. so that Capcom Japan can take stock of like what's really going on. Let's get a plan together that doesn't suck. Wow. And... Uh, it's almost like a parody of corporate res- like restructuring, basically. Like, <laughs> <laughs> everything is canceled, period. Yeah, everything is canceled. And I was like, well, but does that count? What about a project that we didn't even start? Like, <laughs> can we still do that one? Can we still do the new Street Fighter? Uh-huh. And uh, my contacts... Would ca- this have been Street Fighter 4? 4, that's it right. would have been Street Fighter 4, okay. Yeah. Uh, what was kind of interesting is that uh, at, around that time, Capcom announced that they would announce a new game at some big thing and the entire world was sure that it was street fighter 4 and the whole internet was on fire with street fighter 4 at some you know tokyo game show or whatever and i got to read i i did nothing but just read forums for like two weeks there of what everybody wanted because they all thought it was coming but then it turns out it was some boring game that no one cared about uh but i got to read what they wanted anyway so i said hey capcom i know everything's canceled but what about the Street Fighter thing? Like that, we could still do that as a new project. And they said, you know, we think something's going on with Street Fighter. We think maybe they're making one in Japan. Mm. 
We don't really know. I'm getting that feeling, though. I'm <laughs> getting that feeling <laughs> on this inside of our own company. <laughs> but we just don't know. They won't tell us. It turns out that's exactly what they were doing. Yeah. So. But I, you said Captain USA had the rights. Right? I. To this day, I can't explain. I guess they got around their own internal logic. That's right. Which, you know, presumably they have the right to do. <laughs> I think as a parent company, they can play some trump card every once in right, a while yeah, and go yeah. like, look, we're just going to do whatever. Yeah. So the, uh, so they were developing it. So it it's not like they reviewed what we came up with and yeah. didn't like it or anything. It's it's just, yeah. regardless of anything we did, uh, they were making their own game. And that was so frustrating. I put a lot of, a lot of thought and effort into... Uh, the story, actually, the story mode of, of uh-huh. what that Street Fighter 4 would be like. Because I was thinking how, if you looked at popular multiplayer games uh, like Halo or StarCraft, they each had really good single-player experiences yeah. that I thought were good onboarding. You get you familiar with the game, comfortable with the game, so it's not so scary to jump into multiplayer. And and I said the fighting games have just sucked at that. We We need to focus big time on that. We need to have as good of a single-player mode as Halo has. So why don't we do that? Uh, and after spending all that time on what that mode would be and how it would work and what the story is, like to, to dig into the lore and enhance it as much as I could, uh, to have it just, oh, well, it's all canceled, no matter what it is, was so frustrating um, that I thought, you know, I need to do my own thing. I need to yep. never again be, be put in a situation where anything <laughs> you care about can just be taken away from you. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I had been working on uh, the Yomi card game okay. as a hobby project along mm-hmm. the way, and uh, my contact at Capcom said, uh, "Oh, did you want you want real Street Fighter characters on that? That's no problem. You've been a plus with us. I'll, I'll get that through." I had a meeting with them, and the wow. licensing woman was like, "What is this card game? Who are you? What is this? I don't know about this." And then, but the guy I worked with uh-huh. like basically outranked her and, uh-huh. and said, "Look, you're gonna do." This guy's card game. Okay, you're gonna do it, and she's like, "Okay, fine." Then, a little bit later, he decided he didn't like Capcom anymore, <laughs> thought it sucked, and he left. And I had to start all the way over with an- another licensing team. And the new guy was like, "I don't know about this uh, Street Fighter card game. Maybe like, do you really have the chops for this? You know, card game. <laughs> like, how are you gonna distribute it? Like, who are you? Uh-huh, I'm like, Wait, yeah. who am I? Are you fucking kidding me?" So. He said, okay, uh, why don't we start small? I said, oh, great, start small, better than no start. What's the idea? And he said, what if you distributed it only on your own site and through Amazon, nowhere else, as a starting point, it'll get some traction, I'll go back to the team, I'll get them to approve you know, a wide release. Mm-hmm. I said, that is fantastic, let's do that. Mm-hmm. Can you guess what happened with him? Yeah. Quit or fire? That's or... right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then the third time... Um, they seem to get hit by a bus or something. <laughs> yeah, I contacted them again, and they were like, card game? You know, I don't think so. Uh, I'm like, really? Because I had these other deals, and they said okay, and I was like, they said I was like such a help to Capcom, mm-hmm. that they, this was like a favor that they're repaying, and they're like, we don't, what? We don't, what did you work on? Wow. Uh, so they said also uh, we can't really do your thing because we have a deal with a playing card company. We're going to do Street Fighter playing cards. Just regular playing just cards. Just regular playing cards. And I was like, 
Yeah, but this is like a strategy game, and like, yeah, but it's it's too similar. It's like card Street Fighter, you know. Although I guess ironically, Yomi uses like it's structured around a deck of cards. I mean, they, uh, it's not. It's just funny that like it's the only game I can think of that actually does sort of use that. Right. Even though, like, obviously, like it's not about that at all. That's wow. Okay, so I, so they canceled Street Fighter Four. <laughs> they wouldn't even look at our projects. I can't use the Street Fighter characters in my card game anymore. I'm like, all right, I need my own license. Yeah, I, I need, need to my move own, away from Capcom. I need my own IP. <laughs> so I came up with the Fantasy Strike characters uh, okay. in that world. The initials are FS, which is SF backwards on purpose, sure. because I heard that when some people left Walt Disney Company to make their own company and oh, made DreamWorks. DreamWorks. Oh, I never, I never thought of that. Because <laughs> they wanted to like do their own thing as like a wink-wink. So yeah. I, it's a fantasy strike. Um, and then I started making Yomi, and that was like my first uh, project I was working on as my own new company. It took so long to get all the art for Yomi that while I was waiting, I made two other games, Flash Duel and Puzzle Strike. Uh so Yomi was the big thing that took many years, and uh, I published the smallest one, Flash Duel, first, so that I could test the waters of how to even publish the thing and how to even distribute it. Right. Uh, I figured I needed some practice once my more important game came out, uh, and, and Puzzle Strike kind of kind of the same thing. I did a, like a really homemade, low key type of publishing. Uh, worked out the kinks, and then did you self-publish Flash Duel? Yeah, but so I've. Self-published all, all of your games. Okay, so how did you, I'm, a, I'm a publisher. Right. Okay. How did you handle <laughs> disputing it? Right. Like how do I handle what? Uh, game distribution, like getting it in stores. Like that's that sounds like that would be really hard. Yeah, it is really hard. So um, my first thought was, well, I need to sell it on my own site, so I need to have a website yeah, that's pretty sure. good. Also, I should sell it on Amazon, so I need to figure out how to do fulfillment, you know, mm. with them or something. So I did that. And I printed it uh, in the U.S. at a like a real small time place. I found him because I was thinking, I don't want to print like tens of thousands of these. Is there some way to print a really small number? And so I looked on the internet and found some forums where people asked that same question. Mm-hmm. And some guys like I could print a really small number. So I hooked up with him, had him printed. And uh, you ask, how did I get any kind of distribution? So uh, this guy who printed this thing, printed Flash Tool was always telling me about his friend Aldo. He's like, my friend Aldo, he can distribute things all over the place. You, you got to talk to Aldo. And, <laughs> and, and I was like, well, so what does Aldo do? Like, aren't I already selling all over the place? He's like, no, no, no. Aldo will sell way more than you can ever sell. But I kind of didn't really listen to him. I just remembered that he said that. Then one day, Aldo called me. And I was like, hey, you called me because because uh, of our mutual friend. And yeah. he, he said oh, I didn't know that you knew that guy. I was like, well, seriously? Why are you calling me then? Right. And he said, oh, I'm calling you because I saw your game Flash Duel and I thought it looked really good. So I thought maybe I could uh, you know, sell more for you. Wow. I was like, wow, really? That seems random. And he's like, yeah, I saw it. it the artwork's nice. I like it. The box is distinctive. Uh, I said, okay, what do we do? And then he asked me about how much does it cost to manufacture, all the you know nitty-gritty details. And then he said, okay, I get it. You're new at this. Let me tell you how it is. What you're doing now, I can't sell it because it costs you too much to make it. So when I mark it up to take my cut and the distributor marks it up to take their cut and the manufacturer marks it up to take their cut, it will cost too much. It's infeasible. We can't do it. 
What you need to do is manufacture in China. You need to go to this company, talk to this person, tell them all they'll send you, tell them these specs, do this and that. It's going to come out to cost this much. This is exactly what we're going to do. You're going to do all of that. When you're done, you're going to come back to me. Wow. And I'm going to distribute it. And he's like, also, you don't know me from anybody. For all you know, I'm telling you crazy wrong shit. Go investigate this. Talk to everyone else you can. Verify everything else I've said. And you will find that it's all correct. And there you go. Wow. Aldo sounds like the man. So I did everything he said. <laughs> exactly what he said. Talked to the people he said. Uh-huh. He was right about everything. And uh, I manufactured for the on a larger scale for the first time. Mm-hmm. And he sold my games into distribution. Uh, okay. the, the next chapter of this is that I became very upset that he sold to distributors who would then sell to stores, which I liked, and online discounters, which I didn't like, mm. because now they're competing with me. Like, you go to Amazon and you can buy, imagine an item was $100, so you can buy it from $100 from me or $65 from an online discounter, so I'm competing with myself. It doesn't make any sense. It's like if you could buy iPads for... Sure. 65% off. Like, why would Apple want that? And Aldo's like, well, yeah, you know, I sell to everybody. I sell indiscrim- indiscriminately as widely as I can. And that's just what happens. Mm-hmm. The, the, there's a real, it's a short circuit. It's like a broken thing in the board game world that mm-hmm. the distributors are selling at a price so low that it makes sense for brick and mortar publishers. But then online discounters don't have the same cost. They can mm-hmm. sell it for much less, which then kills my margins. And my sales on my site went to zero. Because sure. why would anyone ever buy from me again? I was like, this is a disaster, Aldo. And, but Aldo doesn't care. Because mm-hmm. he's selling... He In his mind, he makes money on every sale, no matter what happens later. Yeah. So I complained and complained. Aldo, you know, is not really into helping me, because he doesn't have an interest to. Uh, but another guy... I just complained to everybody I met. I was pissed off about this. I was thinking of like, can I hire some hitman or mafia or something? <laughs> like I tried to contact these online sellers and like threaten them. Right. And like really angrily, violently threaten them to stop selling my games. And they just, they, they're like, no, we're going to sell your games. Like, screw you, dude. Right. So I was like, what can I do? I complained to everyone I could. And finally one guy randomly was like, hey, uh, he contacted me because he wanted promo materials for Yomi. He's like, mm-hmm. if I want to run a tournament, do you have any extra stuff I can give players? I told him, no, I don't have any extra stuff. You should run tournaments because the game's good, not because you bribe the players. He's like, oh, well, if you ever do have extra stuff, I would I would buy it, but also I would sell it. And I was like, what do you mean you would sell it? And he said, well, I have this whole warehouse thing, and we ship stuff. Like, I could distribute all the extra promo materials if you ever made them. And I said, well, can you distribute the game itself, not just the promos? And he's like, yeah, I own a bunch of game stores. I can distribute. I have a contact list of all hobby game stores i could distribute your games so then i complained about this whole thing of the short circuiting you know mm-hmm. and he's like yeah yeah that makes sense of, of course apple wouldn't want 65 percent off their ipads and neither do you so if you want i'll distribute your game and uh i will only sell to people who hold the msrp right uh and he said actually i'm coming up my game stores are called myriad games but i'm starting a new label for people who want to distribute games not you know not the game stores themselves the new label is called game salute and you can be my first uh first client right so this was dan yarrington and i was his first client at game salute and he did exactly that and we tried that for many years and only in the last year did we actually finally give up on it (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, so uh, as of a few months ago, I started doing it the Aldo way, selling things. Turn back to yeah. Wow, yeah, it's complicated. Jeez, um, tabletop complicated. Tabletop, yeah, <laughs> I mean, deal with a physical product. Like, I, I I'm know. now. I've just finished the Kickstarter for Codex, and uh, after that's over, I'm now working on Fantasy Strike, which is a video game, a fighting game, video game, and. I have to tell you, it's a relief in many ways <laughs> to work on a video game. Sure. Like, software is complicated. It's very complicated. Yeah. But there's so many things that you don't have to worry about right, right. that we had to in a physical. Right. Case. I mean, if you if it's on Steam or whatever, it's like mm -hmm. you, can, you just get a check from Steam from Valve, and that's <laughs> right. that's it. Yeah. I mean, for you, for I mean, since it is so hard to like get the distribution network to work in your favor, like like personally like what allows you to like keep going is it like is it kickstarter that that makes that a lot easier now because like the, like that money can i mean you you have to pay for goods with it right but like at least that's a little more direct like has that changed things are you all, asking or? if kickstarter makes it easier to for me to stay in business or yeah yeah basically i mean um so there's a there's a plus and a minus mm -hmm. uh i mean i it's it's hard for me to say bad things about kickstarter when it's helped me so much. Yeah. I've ran five successful Kickstarters. Yeah. Uh, but overall, it actually is bad. Okay. So the the plus, which my very it was this was true. My very first Kickstarter was if there was no Kickstarter, I actually would have shipped the game, but it wouldn't have had components that were as good as they are. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that that's an example of how it helped. Yeah. But um. Overall, it's really tremendously hurt because the board game market has exploded oh, right. to the sure. point that it's. I mean, I don't know if you know, but yeah, it seems crazy. Like, but there's the, so many games on Kickstarter, but board games like so. Yeah. Board games are the number one category on Kickstarter yeah. in 2015. They made literally twice as much as video games, which is the number two category. Did you know that? Twice as much. That seems uh, crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So there's so much competition that it's hard not to be drowned out. Like. Before all of this, I could send board game reviewers my game, and mm -hmm. they would review it ahead of time. But now, uh, so Codex, my biggest game that I spent uh, ten years making. Yes. Uh, yeah, you. I remember talking to you back when I used to live out here, which is a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. So at your house all those years ago, I was still working on that. So after all this time, my biggest thing, uh, and here it is, reviewers. Here's a free copy, please. Please take it, and they won't even take it. They literally reviewers would literally not even look at the game. Mm -hmm. and the reason is, well, it's not a finished game; like it's for a Kickstarter. We're just inundated. We don't do that anymore. Like nobody will even right. accept uh, prototypes. Because how do they choose between the the crappy the, Kickstarter stuff and like something that's you know more likely to be a good product? I guess. Yeah, like I. I Something like at year two or three into Kickstarter being a big thing for board games, mm -hmm. I might be getting the numbers wrong, but I, I believe that it was about 700 board games per year published in the traditional system, and that at year two or three of Kickstarter, there were 700 board games published through that as well. Just so, on Kickstarter. So, just it doubled, Kickstarter. so it doubled, doubled the, in just, like, the number of games. Yeah, it doubled the number of games, and there's not enough... Uh, it already seemed like there were too many games being published. There were the probably borderline too many, and then it was just crazy. And that was years ago, and now it's way, way bigger than that. So it's not hard to understand that these people are totally overwhelmed. Um, yeah. But I thought it was just ridiculous that I couldn't get people to even look 
at Codex, but I wouldn't have had that problem four years ago. Yeah. So is that a big part of the reason why you're making a video game now? I mean, like you just got to get out of that market, or <laughs> I don't know. Well, maybe that's part of it. Uh, another part of it is just that it's possible for you to even make this video game. I've struggled to sure. like find the people to make video games. Yeah, it's it's been getting easier. Yeah, for sure. Of well, course, that leads to our own problem on our side, which is like. Now there's a glut of video games, so <laughs> it's, you know. Like. So how I came to make this video game is uh, very unusual.